Real guy. That, that's very true. I am We're so live. All right, folks. Episode number 125 with the one and only John Perkins, economic hitman. Uh, John, when was the last time we interviewed? Was it a year ago, a year and a half ago when we sat down? I think it was before you had a, another baby. It was before I had another baby. Before Brooklyn. Yes, sorry, before Brooklyn. Before Brooklyn. And I think, it. I think it was, it seems to me it might have been in August of, yeah. of 2020. Yeah, 2020. It was prior to the election. Right, because yeah, we right were talking about it. He said there's no way Trump's going to win. He was right. He was right. Yeah, he said there's no way Trump's going to win. Prognosticator. Right he now. was. He was. But, uh, you know, it's so weird, the timing of when you're here today, because this was not planned. Like, there is no conspiracy going on today. It happens to be that Mr. John Perkins, the economic hitman, mm-hmm. is sitting here right after the Durham investigations came out, which yeah. I'm sure you haven't read or followed or you don't know what's going on there. I have no idea. Which is great, which we'll talk about because you have no idea. Well, if you watch mainstream but, media, yeah. you, would, you wouldn't have no <laughs> you idea. You wouldn't have an idea because everybody, I bet they had a conference call and they said, the key word to use in your title is allegedly, allegedly. Everybody was about allegedly, but we'll get into that. For some people that don't know what uh, uh, your background is, let me just read the Wikipedia so people know what the Wikipedia says. John Perkins is an American author. He's best known for his book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, 2004, which was a big hit, in which Perkins claims he had played a role in an alleged process of economic colonization of third world countries on behalf of what he portrays as a cabal of corporations, banks in the United States of America. The book's claims were met with skepticism and rebuttal by some, but he spent more than 70 weeks on New York Times bestseller list, has been published in at least 32 different languages, and is used in many colleges and university programs. That's a pretty good intro right there by Wikipedia, because typically they talk shit, but they're being nice to you. Yeah, except they're, they're, they're saying that these things are alleged. Allegedly. Alleged. So that pisses you alleged. off, too. And they get the numbers all wrong. It's way more than 32 languages well, now. Is it in Farsi? Is it at least in Farsi? I'm pretty sure it is. It has to be in Farsi because, <laughs> yeah. you you know, you got some you choice words about the Shah over there. So, so for folks who don't know, for folks who have no idea what it is, I mean— I've, I've interviewed hitmen before, like legit hitmen, okay, who their job is to, they come, they kill you, that's their job. That's, right? a ja- that's what we call the jackals. That's, okay, you call them the jackals, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it, I was, uh, I, you know, Adam is always looking for great jobs. And <laughs> this morning he went on, uh, what was it, what, 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 jobs.com, we a monster. All these things he was looking at, how he can apply to be an economic hitman. He yeah. couldn't find a single job. I but. looked everywhere. <laughs> He looked everywhere. How does one become an economic hitman? Well, I guess the the first question would be, why would you want to? Because I don't recommend it. Um, for me, how it happened was that uh, when I was graduating, just about to graduate from business school, uh, I was going to be drafted. And I really didn't want to go to Vietnam. I didn't really want to kill Vietnam. Vietnamese people or be killed by them. So I was looking for a way out. And I was married at the time to a woman whose father was very high up in the Department of the Navy, and his best friend was very high up in the National Security Agency, which was draft deferrable. And they arranged for an interview. So I go in for this interview, uh, spent a couple of days on, on a lie detector, and I was sure I failed. Uh, for one thing, when I had been in Middlebury College, mm-hmm. I, I uh, 
Uh, there was an incident with an Iranian, if you can believe that. Be careful with those guys. Uh, yeah, well, the truth, truthfully, this guy carried a knife. I mean, a little tiny jackknife. But he showed me how he put his, his thumb way up the blade so there's just a little bit of it touching. He'd already shown me this. He'd been a professional soccer player at the Cl- Club of Rome in, 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 in Italy and then, gone to, and then gone to Middlebury College. And we, I was in a, it, it, we were in a bar together. And, and, uh, what year is this? Uh, 64. Okay. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, a, a big heavy farmer sucker punched me, knocked me across the room, and Fahad, my, my friend from Iran, comes up and slashes him across the cheek. Lots of blood comes out. He's got this little tiny, it's just a pinprick, really, but it looks bad. It feels bad. And the farmer's screaming his head off, and Fahad pushes me into the men's room and out the window into Otter Creek, this river that runs by. <laughs> and we make our way back to the dorm at Middlebury. And uh, the next, and I was pretty drunk. The next morning, there's a knock on the door, and it's the cops. So they pull me into the police station. And uh, as I'm sitting there waiting to be interviewed, another one's escorting Fahad out. They does not let me talk to him. They put, put, take me in, and they start questioning me. Did you see Fahad with a knife? And I lied. I just lied and lied and lied. I feared Fahad more than I feared the police, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I, too, fear Iranians more than I fear the yeah, well, police. I've always been told, don't sit too close to them, you know? I, I, I think this is good, good, good enough day. Day. this thing. Yeah, I'm worried yeah. about him, not me. Yeah. Yeah. I, get this I got right a knife now. in my left hand right now. Don't worry about that. <laughs> anyway, you know, so now I'm taking this, this NSA uh, lie detector test. And they asked me, have you ever, had a, have you ever been interviewed or had a run-in with the police? And I had to tell them, yeah, I lied to the police. So I figured, well, this is, this is going to screw me. And then they asked me how I feel about Vietnam. I say, well, I, I, don't, I don't intend to go. And so I figured I failed miserably. Got it. But no, they hired me. And you know, oh, they offered me a job. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is they were very happy that I had the guts to, to, to lie to the police. Plus, Fahard's father was a general in the Shah's air, military mm. and worked for the CIA. So here I was, friends with a guy whose father was in the CIA in Iran. I was good material. And they knew that we had already lost the war in Vietnam, basically. It wasn't public knowledge, really. It was a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. But the NSA knew, so they didn't care that I didn't want to go. They were pretty smart of me not to want to go there. So it was really funny. So, you know, I get, I get offered this job. And there's a, then, then I end up going in the Peace Corps for three years because they encouraged that to learn another language, to learn survival techniques, et cetera, et cetera. And afterwards, I came out and was hired, and they told me, you know, when you end up working for us, you may not actually work for us. You may work for a private corporation, but they have connections with us, which was true. Mm -hmm. So I became an economist, chief economist at this consulting firm that had very, very close ties to the United States, um, what do we want to call it, intelligence community? (laughs) Information gathering spy agencies. Did yes. you know at that time? Like, are you aware what's going on? No, not really. I mean, you know, it's so easy to convince yourself that you're not aware, even though I had suspicions. Mm. But uh, I came from a, a poor, pretty poor teacher's family in New Hampshire. I grew up in a boys' boarding school surrounded by rich kids. And my dad was a teacher, and he didn't make any money. They, they, we, the school gave us a house and food. We, we had a decent life, didn't want for anything. But I was surrounded by kids who came from Tehran and Paris and Buenos Aires and Park Avenue in New York. And, and, you know, I heard all these stories, you know, I was stuck in this little town in New Hampshire always. 
And so, did these kids bully you, or did you have good friendships with them? I had good fr- okay. friendships. I was, I was, I've always been a good con artist. That's what it takes to be an economic hitman, you know. Mm. But <laughs> and I was captain of two sports teams, and so oh, on. Oh shit! Yeah. So, but but I always had this inkling to go to Tehran, yeah. to go to Paris, to go to these places. And suddenly now, as I get into this business, I'm flying first class around the world. I'm meeting with presidents. I'm doing all the things that I dreamed of doing. So I really didn't want to know the truth, even though when I, the more and more I began to suspect it. But the line that I was sold, Patrick, was that what you're doing is a really good thing. Because what I was what I was paid to do mm-hmm. was to convince countries that had resources our corporations covet, like oil, to take huge loans from the World Bank or one of the sister organizations and hire our companies to build big infrastructure projects like power plants and, and roads and airports in, in these countries, which would make our, our, our companies would get big profits. The rich families in the country would prosper because – they own the industries. They own banks. They own the things that benefited from improved infrastructure. But the majority of the people would suffer because money was diverted uh, from education, health care, and other social services to pay off the debts on the loan. And in the end, they couldn't pay the debts, so we'd go back in and say, hey, you owe us. So sell your oil or whatever, copper, whatever the resource was, real cheap, cheap to our corporations without environmental or social regulations. And uh, that was really, you know, what my job was. But statistically, you could show that when you invest in these um, infrastructure projects, the economy grows. It does. Mm. Because we measure GDP Mm -hmm. or or GNP uh, growth. And that really just measures the very rich. So so let's go go back to, you know, uh, what I recall from our meeting there. So... The business model of what you did. So one, if I remember, that you didn't directly work for the government because if you did get caught, then it would look like it's the government. So it was a corporation that you would work for, uh, and and that corporation is who would send you to go negotiate on behalf of the U.S. government with not necessarily the bigger countries. It was more smaller uh, not even mid-sized. So you would just say it was smaller countries that you would go to that had some kind of a natural resource that America wanted. And then the negotiation was, we're going to come and build some infrastructure. We'll invest some money into your country. They'll go into a shit ton of debt. Then in a way to get money back is you're going to allow us to build a military in your country. You're going to give us these resources for 50 cents on a dollar or 10 cents on a dollar, pretty much for nothing. And then if you don't listen to us, we're going to kill you. Is that pretty much explain the business model you followed yes and uh, yes it is and so the we're going to kill you part was i i wasn't going to kill them i never carried a gun but i knew the guys were right behind me we called them jackals they were cia that's what you were talking about hitman earlier they'd be in the room with you while you're having this conversation no no they no uh they they, i i theoretically didn't know anything about them but who's in the room with you when you're having these conversations are you the point man are you saying hey here's the deal yeah i'm and who's with you I'm probably just meeting one-on-one with the Minister of Finance or perhaps the President. You're rolling in solo to these countries and having these... Well, no, I've, I've got two or three of the guys who work for me okay. outside. They're probably not sitting in the meeting. They might be. It, they just it. depended. But but they were there to help produce the numbers. I, I was I, Frankly, I was a lousy economist. <laughs> I was chief economist, but I was a good, I was a good talker. I, like I said, I was a good con artist. But I knew how to hire the guys that could crunch the numbers huh. and come up with these econometric models that showed how much the country was going to benefit. 
that was used to convince the presidents, and they would use it to convince their people, the press in their countries, and so on. You know, there was an interesting cartoon that sort of sums this up uh, that came out many many years ago, and it showed me, an economic hitman, in one hand, holding a fistful of dollars and saying, hey, Mr. President, in this hand, I've got hundreds of millions of dollars for you and your family if you buy my deal. And then in this hand, I got a gun, in case you don't. And that was pretty much it. I didn't have the gun, but I knew that the mm-hmm. and he knew because the United States, you know, we've admitted to taking out and in, in, in ending the, the, the life of, of Salvador Allende of, of, of Chile, uh, the Shah of Iran, uh, and Mossadegh in Iran before that, Mossadegh particularly. And we didn't really take out the Shah, we took out Mossadegh. Lumumba in the Congo, Ziem in Vietnam, Arbenz in Guatemala, and recently, 2009, in Honduras, President Zelaya. So a lot of the activity was in uh, Central America, South America, and then in the Middle East, is that, or Africa, or the majority of the countries? Anywhere, any country that had resources, our, our corporations coveted, that needed money also. Well, and in some, like Iran, that didn't really need the money, but, we, but they needed us to protect them from Russia. Uh-huh. And and Saudi Arabia, you know, had the, had the, their reasons, but usually it was countries that needed money, had resources. I focused a lot on Latin America because I'd been there a lot. I speak fluent Spanish, so it was a mm-hmm. it was a it was a natural for me. But I also spent probably during the ten years a, a year in Iran, uh, a lot of time in Indonesia. Now let me ask you, John, why why did this these prime like Omar Torrijos, <laughs> I believe, right, Panama? Yeah. Why did which was one of your favorite guys that you would meet with? Why did some of these guys agree to sit down with you? What is the call for them to say, yeah, I'll sit down with John? What call came before you showed up? They would usually get a call from the World Bank, maybe the Secretary of State of the United States, somebody saying, you know, this, 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 this man's passing through your country and would like to arrange a meeting to you and talk about what we might do to help your country. That's the script. That's the script. Something like that, yes. And that phone call is made to who? To, to, to the president or to, or to his chief of staff or whoever, whoever sets up such, such meetings. But it would probably end up in his hands and Torrijos. So he was an interesting guy, guy you know, the head of state of yeah. Panama. He was a very charismatic party animal, loved, you know, loved his cigars and his, and his rum and barbecues. You know, I got to know him very well because he was very charismatic that way. Very flamboyant fr- or not flamboyant, the, just party? Yes, flamboyant. This, this, is, flamboyant. A, this is in the okay. 70s? Yes. This is before Noriega and everything that happened with that? Yes. Nor- Are my facts right? Yeah, Noriega came after that. So this yeah. was during the negotiations for the Panama Canal Treaty. Got with, it. And it was, it was Carter, Carter yeah. and, and Torrijos. And, you know, Torrijos got pretty much what he wanted in that. And he became a hero throughout the third, what we call the third, I like to call it the, uh, the, 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 the lower income countries, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that. Um, he became a hero. And so he became very dangerous. So the United States really wanted to bring him under control. So I was sent down to rein him in, and he wouldn't be reined in. Uh, he, was, he had tremendous integrity uh, and uh, a big ego also. You know, he liked to be on the front page, and, and he liked to be known as, as David facing Goliath. You know, he's a little country, Panama. Underdog mentality. Totally, you know, very, very small country, very small population, but it had the canal. And, and he became very very well known throughout the world as a guy who would stand up. So when you spoke to him and you, you, you use the same protocol that you use with, you know, uh, <clears throat> others in the past, 
it wasn't effective with this guy when you spoke to him. No. He just wasn't going to budge. And he openly would tell you. He, what, what did he tell you openly when you guys spoke? Well, he, he was the one that really helped me understand what we were truly doing. He pointed out to me something, and I'll use today's numbers, but he, he, in those days it was similar. He, today, if three, three Americans own as much wealth as half the United States population, right? And if those three Americans made 10% on their assets last year and, and half the country lost 3% and everybody else stayed the same, we'd show a growth of something close to 4%. So it would look like the whole country prospered when in fact only three people prospered. Half stayed the same and, and half lost 3%. And Torrijos pointed that out to me. And so if that's true in the United States where three people own as much as 50%, imagine what it's like where three people own not, as much as 95%, which is true in a lot of these countries. Torrijos pointed that out to me. He said, you know, these numbers that you're throwing around, the GDP, it's totally rigged in favor of the rich. You're not helping the poor people with any of these countries. Uh, and so he, he was one of the people that really helped me have to face the truth of what I was doing. And at the same time, you know, one time he, he took me out on his yacht. He didn't, he didn't own the yacht, but he had a lot of he, the friends. He was always out on these yachts. You know, we're on this yacht. We're, we're, we're drinking uh, all kinds of, you know, rum drinks. And as he's, we're, we're surrounded by these beautiful bikini-clad ladies. Uh, Sounds horrible. <laughs> just awful. You would have hated it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Panama, you know, bikini I just, ladies, yachts. Yeah. This is horrible. Patrick, Patrick, I just saw a video of you on a boat as you were arriving here in Florida. You deciding to come yeah. here. And yeah. it was kind of like that, except you were surrounded by all these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on that, John. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're, you're having this drink with them. You're on the yacht. Yeah. You're having a conversation with him. What's he tell you? Pats me on the back. He offers me a cigar. He says, hey, John, why don't you come work for me? You won't make nearly as much money, but you'll have a lot more fun, and you'll feel really good about what you're doing for the world. He tried to recruit you. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. Was he pretty convincing? Him? Yeah. I didn't. I wish I, I you know, I, no, I don't wish I had. He, you know, he, he, I think he got assassinated. His, you know, it's never been proven, but his plane went down very his private plane in a very uh, suspicious, under very suspicious What was it? It was, it was called, uh, what was the thing called? It was a name for it, no? Like uh, Project something that uh, uh, United Fruit, or was that more Guatemala? No, that, that was, was more Guatemala. That was yeah. Guatemala with Arbenz, yeah. Yeah, so with him, you know, you said something about when he got on the plane, right after the whole deal he did with Carter, there was a tape recorder that went in and the tape recorder blew up. Has that been verified that was a tape recorder or no? No, there, when, he got on the, when he got on the plane, uh, somebody handed him a tape recorder, and uh, that's uh, the suspicion is that it was a bomb. But you know, when a plane blows up, there's no smoking gun because it blows up too. And just three months before, less than three months before that, Jaime Roldos, the president of Ecuador, who also stood up to me, did not accept yeah. the deals. He, I did, I wasn't as friendly with he him. He was loved, by the way. He was loved and adored. He when was he, got elected. He, he, yeah. he was loved and adored, and, and democratically elected yeah. uh, for, for the first democratically elected president in Ecuador in, in a number of years. Uh, he wasn't as 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 warm and fuzzy and friendly as as Torrijos, so I never got to know him personally the way I did Torrijos. But so he he died in this plane crash uh, in May, and uh, in 1981. And uh, Torrijos met, met with his family after that, and he said, "You know, my my brother Jaime was just assassinated by the CIA, and again that was never proven, but that was a suspicion." And uh, he said, "You know, I'll prob probably be next." But don't worry, because I've signed the, the Panama Canal Treaty with Carter, so I've accomplished what I really came here to accomplish. 
And less than three months later, um, almost the same yeah. thing happened to him as what happened to Roldos. Now, you don't know if, so for example, you go meet with somebody and you come <clears> back and they don't do what you ask them to do. You make the phone call back to the corporation you were working with and you say, this is a no-go. And the individuals you called, who were they? Was it just simply your direct supervisor? Were you talking to the CEO of that company? Who was your communication with? Well, uh, my direct supervisor was a senior vice president who became president. So I was talking to the top management of my company. And the call sounded like what? Hey, Bob, they said no. He's not willing to budge. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I would usually try to couch it in terms of a little bit more color to it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe look a little better, you know, like, Hey, I just spent the last month miserably drinking rum drinks, you know, and smoking cigars and hanging out with bikini clad women. And, and, it, I, and still I failed that kind of thing. But yeah, basically that was it. And then, so they, but, but you didn't know the business model. Like, it's not like they told you the business model is if they say, no, we're going to go take a guy out. You don't know that. You just, or was that a almost like code red in the Marines, you know, the movie A Few Good Men, where everybody knows it's a code, but it's not written anywhere, but it's talked about amongst leaders. Was it kind of like that? Yeah, I think it was like that. I knew, but I didn't know. How many people that you met with right after you left, they got killed? who didn't do a deal. Was it those two guys? Yeah, everybody else did the deal. Everybody else did the deal. Everybody else I met with did the deal. So, but you never sat with Shah. You just partied with Shah. You spent some time with the Shah. Yeah. yeah. Did you do a deal with the Shah or no? Yeah, we did deals with the Shah. But the Shah now, so that was a different situation. So the Shah didn't need to take out loans. Because he had money at that time. He had money. He just needed to give our oil companies permission to go in and take his oil. Got it. And that's what we were working on. And, and, you know, the Shah was was very clever in that he sort of pitted Russia, the Soviet Union, against us. He said, well, you know, if you guys don't build me these cities, if you don't help me build— Russia's going to do it. Russia's going to do it. So we were building huge transmission lines that went all the way from— uh, Kerman down to Bandar Abbas. We, we were building the big military. We actually were building the military base at Bandar Abbas, which now is is a thorn in our side. You know, it's 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 controlling the Straits of Hormuz, but we were building it basically as an American military base. It was an Iranian military base, but where America would have a big presence. And uh, you know, using the Shah's oil to pay our companies to make big profits building this military base. Which would you know? Were you? Was there ever? The concern of during that time it would be the seventies, right? When you're de- when you're having dealings with Shah, right? Did, did, what did you know about the consortium agreement of 1954? Because that was the biggest uh, challenge that four countries had. Yeah, that they were not happy about the amount of power he was getting because he was going to give everybody. It was a 25 year agreement they signed from 54, and it was coming up in 79. And I think the PM of France. Britain, I want to say Germany and Carter obviously met in South or Central America to talk about this guy's getting a little bit too powerful and we got to do something about getting rid of this guy. Were you involved in the exodus of the Shah or no? No. Okay. No, in fact, um, the night before the bombs went off in, what was it, Shiraz or Mm -hmm. Isfahan, um, I was in the Hotel Intercontinental. uh, In Iran. In Iran, in Tehran at the bar. And I get a tap on the shoulder, and it's Fahard. I haven't seen him since the, since the knife. Well, no, I saw him after the knife. Same knife guy that fathers a general that they were connected yes. to the CIA. Yeah, yes, Got it. And, and Fahard says to me, um, 
we have a little bit of a chat, very very brief, and he says, I've got an airplane ticket for you tomorrow in Air France at 5 o'clock in the morning or something to fly to Rome with me. And I said, no, 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 I've got a meeting with the Ministry of, of Finance tomorrow. It's very important. He said, no, no, you're coming with me. And I said, I, I came out. I've got this meeting. He said, and he looked at me in the eye and he said, you're coming with me or you may never come out of this country. So I was on that. And he said, my father's living in Rome. I said, your father, he's, he's the Shah's general. What's he doing in Rome? He said, he's no longer the Shah's general. He, he resigned. He's in Rome. We're going to go stay with him. And I left the next morning. And then the next, that, that next day uh, is when the beginning of the end for the Shah began. Why were you in Iran? Was, was this 77 or 78? This is 78. 78, 79. It can't be 79. 70, 78, 78, yeah. just before the 79 revolution. Okay, so How long were you in Iran for? <clears throat> well, I, I was never there for more than a month at a time, but probably close to a year, over 10 years. So I would... I had an office in Tehran. I had an office in Tehran. I had one in Panama. I you, had said, one. you said 10 years? You were he was there uh, no, no more like, than a month at a time, but a but year for, over a span of 10 years. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So what was Iran like in the 70s, basically? I before? loved it. I loved it. It was beautiful, you know. Uh, and I traveled all over from the Caspian down to the Straits of Hormuz, and I went down in the desert from Kirman down, and it was just beautiful. And Tehran was incredible. I mean, it was, you know, it was so progressive. You know, you could sit out on what was called Pahlavi Avenue at that time, named after the Shah, these cafes. And the Iranian women were, I mean, the, the miniskirts on Pahlavi Avenue were shorter than in Paris, if you can believe that. And it was really, it was really struck by how, wow. how, how impacted all that must have been when the, when the mullahs took over, you know, and all that, that change. It was shocking because it was— So there was no Sharia law going on right there. They're not in the full garb. Nothing was going no, on. No, no, no. Shah wasn't for that. They so it was, like, it was like the Paris of the Middle East at that point. Yeah, yeah, you know, for yeah. her, the, the Shah's, uh, the princess— you know, she was a, a model of, of beauty and sexuality. Well, sensuality. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, not openly. You're getting choked up talking about her. I get it, John. <laughs> yeah, and you know, she sponsored this major tennis tournament where they had all the biggest stars from the world come mm-hmm. and play tennis and, and an international film festival. But by the way, th- top three countries in tourism in the 70s. You ready? Yeah. Burma, Cuba, Iran. <coughs> It's, and it's crazy how those countries yeah. have completely Night done day. a 180. Yeah, now Frank Sinatra would go perform there all the time. Zahedi was dating Elizabeth Taylor. Iran was like the place rich people went to. Like yeah. about where rich people go to today. Like we're going to go to Dubai. Way before there was Dubai, it was Tehran, Iran. You'd go there. You'd go to Bandar Pahlavi, which is a different a port of Pahlavi by Caspian Sea, which you would have ca- caviar as if it's just... Regular, mm-hmm. you're having coffee. So then, the 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 mullahs or whoever was basically yeah. saying, "All right, this is enough's enough here." Yeah. What what was that? Like you, if you were there for ten years, you must have. And you probably don't speak the language, but you must have sensed some unease. Like, okay, this is the like what Pat is basically describing is the Paris of the Middle East, and that's where rich people are going. But there must be this undercurrent of people not digging this vibe. Clearly. Did you sense any of that? What was that you situation know, like? That's what's shocking is, no, I didn't sense it. I don't know that anybody sensed it. I've become friends since then with Bob Baer. You may know him, the CIA guy that the movie Syriana is based on. He was, he was deep undercover, spoke Farsi as well as <clears throat> Arabic. I don't think he was even – I mean, I don't, I don't get how, how, how difficult it was for us to understand what was going on. I understand for me – 
that all the information I got came from translators who mm. worked for the Shah, you know, and they'd all been, tr they'd all been schooled. So they're sweeping things under the rug. Everything's fine. Uh, yeah. Look this way. Don't worry. Have a drink. Have some fun. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would ask to interview some of the poor people and, and so on and so forth. But I always had a translator because they didn't speak English. Uh -huh. And I don't know what was translated correctly. And, you know, I know that the, the same is true around the world. You get a lot of misinformation if you don't speak the language. You know, I find one of the reasons Latin America was so enlightening for me in Torrijos because I spoke Spanish. Right. But in Iran, no, I, there was, we had no English. Iran was the only country uh, at the time, even, it was Saudi Arabia. Well, our contract in Saudi Arabia was actually with the U.S. Treasury Department to build stuff in Saudi Arabia. That's another story. But I think Iran was the only country where, where my company did not require advance payment for the work that we did. We trusted Iran to pay its debts. They had the money. Mm. Yeah, and as, yeah. A, as a result, we lost millions of dollars when the Shah went down because they owed us a lot of money, which we never collected because we, to we totally trusted them. So it's, it is shocking to me how, how little we understood. Has, has any country taken a bigger 180 than Iran? Because the, what he's basically saying... Venezuela would be in the top five because Venezuela used to be a modern-day Iran. You're talking about a country that has the most supply of oil. Oil, natural barrels. resources, yeah, of I mean, course. And it was a beautiful place to go to. Next to Colombia, a great yeah, place. Iran, and they also have beautiful women. They also know how to party. Yeah. They also know how to put it together. They also know how to you know, have fun. And Iran did so as well. But Iran... But, but Venezuela, I wouldn't put them on, on the same level as Iran. Iran is working on nuclear missiles. Yeah, but during totally that different. time, yeah. during that time, this guy had a deal originally. British Petroleum, right? BP, was in yeah. Iran. BP. Prior to that, it was called the Anglo something something, you know, Persian oil company, you yeah. know. So it was a... Britain had a chokehold on Iran. And they pretty much ran everything in Iran. Until Mossadegh, which was somebody that, you know, his, uh, I don't know if you dealt with Mossadegh's issue. I think other no, people from. Mossadegh was the early 50s. He was so the early I, 50s. I was still yeah. a kid. You, you were, were still a kid. Yeah. yeah. Mossadegh, Mossadegh was a guy. He, Mossadegh would have been the modern day Bernie Sanders. He was a socialist and he wanted to take the oil money from Iran and give it to everybody. And he didn't like the fact that the rich people were getting richer and all this stuff. And he came in. And uh, he, he kind of wanted to negotiate stuff with oil, but he, he wasn't strong enough to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And then Zahedi, which, you know, you know who Zahedi is. Uh, uh, he was the uh, ambassador of U.S. Zahedi was a very powerful man. Um, and Hoveda also. Yeah, I would say that as well. But yeah. Zahedi was, how would you describe Zahedi? He was, he, like, he dated Elizabeth Taylor. Zahedi was like, if he you was pull a, G. Up, a young Zahedi, put Ardesh. Uh, a young... Uh, um, no way uh, Tyler spells this right. There's a Z, there's an H, there might be a lowercase Q. Zahadi, Tyler. Can you, can you get this right? So 100 bucks if you spell a, this right on the yeah, first time. 100 bucks, shit, I'll give you 1,000 bucks. But Zahadi. A-R-D-E. He went to a porn site. A-R-D-S-H-I-R. And then put Z-A-H-E-D-I. Okay. Uh, young, okay, go to images, go to images. And this guy was like a, he, the right to click on that one. That one right there is fine. He's a guy in the top left. Maybe that's a bad picture for him. But every, look who it is on the right. Do you see who it is on is the right? Is that a beetle? I can't really see. Who is that on the right? Is that Barbara Streisand? I think that's Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Zahedi, uh, uh, it's crazy. What's the date on that article, Washington Post? Can you click on it? Flamboyant Iranian ambassador. Huh. Okay. 
died uh, at 93. What age is that? Can you get that? Uh, get rid of that? No. So you can't. I'll go back and see when he just died because it has to be in the last 18 months. And this was who was he in, in Iran? He is. He's the guy you go through if you want to do any dealings with the Shah. So this guy comes in. He creates a, a, a campaign to get he's rid like of. The, he's like the chief of staff, basically. Let me tell you, this guy is the shot. He is. He's a very important guy. Got it. He gets rid of Mossadegh in a way. I mean, a lot of people say he got rid of Mossadegh, but can you see when he died? I want to know when he died. It has to be in the last 18 months. He gets rid of Mossadegh. Oh, really? Shah comes in. I was supposed to interview him. He was sick when I was supposed to interview him. See when he died. I was supposed to. He, I think he was living in Switzerland or Sweden, something like that. November 18th of last year. Shit! That's look at his birthday. You know he's a special guy. It's October sixteen, two days apart. He died four months, three know, months ago. I know he just died. I'm telling you, I had a schedule go wow. to Switzerland. Switzerland. Mario, yeah. we got on a call with the guy. He sent me an autograph of his book, saying I'm looking forward to the interview because we were going to have some interesting conversations together. But unfortunately, he died. Well, do you, do you see who his wife was? His first wife. His wife stood up until 1964. Shanaz Pahlavi. Hmm. Yeah, you know who that is. Well, Pahlavi is a pretty well-known yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the, the sister, I think. Yes, that's the Shah's family. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's, he's lucky because Hoveda, who was prime minister, and, and I got to know quite well, uh, was executed. He was, he was shot by, we don't know whether it was a firing squad or whether somebody shot him just before he I'm surprised he lived this long. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he's lucky. He made it because Hoveda, right after the revolution, was put on trial and found guilty of all kinds of oh, things. Oh, no and, question about it. This Khomeini was after this guy for the longest time. Yeah. Everybody was like, this guy's not going to make it. No, he's, But he made it to 93. Legit respect for him to make it that long. By the way, this guy was the encyclopedia of everything that took place during that time. If there's a, if there's a guy that knew it, it was this guy. Anyways. So the Shah all of a sudden went from being a 21-year-old kid that takes over Iran at 21 years old. Think wow. about this. And his dad was a very uh, uh, feared man, very much of a dictator, strong, strong dictator. Shah was a little bit more gentle. He spoke seven languages. Okay, He spoke French. He spoke uh, you know, English. He spoke better English than you and I speak English. If you ever see him in interviews, you'll be blown away by this guy, the Shah. So he changes everything in Iran. He makes it. He says, we got to get rid of the, what do you call it? The, the burqas. Burqas that you put in. You got to get rid of this. You got to make it a little bit more free. And then some of the more conservative uh, uh, Muslims were upset because he was thinking women are getting a little too loose, too comfortable with the way they're doing. They're getting too much power. He increased the age of women getting married from 8 to 13 to 15. And I'm telling you, that's the number. From 8, a 55-year-old man prior to him could marry an 8-year-old girl. And he raised it to 13, then to 15. And I think now it's back down to 13 or some number like that in Iran. So he made a lot of positive things, but he became a little too powerful. And that scared the crap out of US and Britain and France and Germany because they could no longer control him. And when he became too powerful, that's when they said, we got to figure out a way to hurt this guy. And next thing you know, guys like him, maybe John not Burkin him, shows up. but guys like him showed up and they totally ruined Iran because if it wasn't for economic hitmen like you, Johnny, It's all your fault. Uh -huh. You understand this? This is the whole reason why I got you here today. That's why I wrote a confession, because I know <laughs> it's true. And, and incidentally, you know, uh, it, the one country you left out of all that was China. So, so Hoveda was, was really flirting with China at the time and using that in, in the United States' face, sort of sort of throwing it in our face. You know, you, not only is it the Soviet Union, yeah. but also we're, we're seeing China's on the, uh, on the march here. And the United States didn't even realize that China was doing what it was this doing. This in the 70s? What year is this? Yes, in the 70s. And, and so, uh, you know, the Shah and, and all of his team uh, were really, really 
sharp as they were shrewd. They were really shrewd, playing the Soviets against the Chinese, the Chinese against the Americans, the Americans against everybody, and the French were in there, and the English, and everybody wanted a part of Iran. And as, as because of as, the oil, because of because of the oil, but also the location. So right. Iran protects. Europe from Russia, from from the Soviet Union, basically. Gotcha. Strategic so, I mean, alliance right there. Everything. And and Got also, it. the feeling was that if the Shah could be, was, would be successful, then the rest of the Middle East would probably use him as a model, which we liked, because he was a guy who, who as Patrick said, was very strong dictator, uh, but he also... Who was a strong dictator? The father. The father was, yeah, yeah. But Brutal. I mean, the son feared him. Br- br- yes. Well, and, and I think... But you referred to the Shah as a dictator and when you guys did a speed run. You used that terminology to, well, to describe the Shah, did you not? Yeah, the Shah was a dictator also. As, as, as Patrick said, he was milder than his father. I've heard, Stop, I've, John. I've, I've heard that I've heard... This is called misinformation, folks. <laughs> Don't let this man fool you. But why? So you disagree with what he's saying? The, okay, let's define a dictator. What's a dictator? Well, somebody doesn't have to be elected, basically. An auto, maybe an autocrat. Well, you could, he was an imperialist, which I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Imperialist yes. is different than a dictator. There's a big difference. What is the difference? What is the difference? What is so what is Britain? Oh, oh, it's a standoff. It's a dictator standoff. Would you say Would you say I've got to get my bag out. <laughs> would you say I don't want to know what's in that bag. Would you say Britain's uh, form of government is a dictator? No. Why not? Because it's a parliamentary, um, it's a parliamentary republic. What is it? You're saying you're saying that when it was a monarchy. You're saying you're saying you're 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 saying saying a monarchy is a dictator. So is the definition of monarchy is a dictator? No, 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 certainly not, not, not in Britain. It isn't because the monarchy doesn't have control. But in but in Iran, the monarchy was ruled. So, but a dictator is what a dictator says: if you don't do what I tell you, I kill you, right? If you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to ruin your something's life. Gonna, yeah, something's going to happen. Okay. I mean, you, t- you tell me in America right now, if God forbid, you know, Joe Rogan says something that they disagree with, we're going to ruin your life. It's just a different way of being a hitman. Yeah, but in fact, the, the Shah did say that. I said mean, the, what? He, he ruined people's lives if they didn't agree with him. It, it was a, at that time, what do you call a CIA at that time? What did you guys do? Then you're a dictator? I'm sorry. We, so the way we you, were we were supporting a dictator. No, well, you are the ultimate dictator. So if we define <laughs> them as a dictator, you are the ultimate dictator. We tried to be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We but try. We, we try. have to be very careful when we drop the name dictator because then that means I, FDR is a dictator. Patrick, I love the way you talk about the important use of words. I've, I've watched an incredible video where you get into. I don't that. speak English. It's my fifth <laughs> language. I'm trying to get better at this language. And, and, I, and I, I love it. Can we pull up the actual definition of a dictator? Yeah, there you go. Picture right next to it is going to be. But go ahead. So you call the Shah dictator. Well, you're saying that the Shah was not a dictator. No. If we have to define what a dictator is. A dictator is a political leader who possesses absolute power. Dictatorship is a state ruled by one dictator by a small clique. The word originated as a title of a Roman dictator elected by the Roman Senate to rule the Republic of Emergency. In but you t- said the, in the, times the, the, father, the father of the Shah was a dictator, but, but the fa- brutal dictator. Let, let me tell you, the father was, let me t- like, it, the son never saw the father. Like, this father never played with the son. It's like, you're lucky to be around your dad. You have to go learn. And maybe once a month or once a year would see his dad. The dad was feared, brutal, killer, my way or the highway, and everybody. He got into, he got exiled, I think, once or twice. They kicked him out once or twice. It, well, was, and, and ultimately, yeah. the Shah took, kicked him out. I mean, it wasn't, it was the CIA that came in and brought in the yeah. Shah, but... 
Yeah, the shower kind of replaced, well, replaced most, maybe mm-hmm. replaced most of the deck. Yeah. But most of the deck had replaced the father. True. So, yeah. yeah me, listen, a, here's, here's but, how. But, but, uh, under most of the deck, we had a true democracy. Iran had a true democracy. It's, uh, it's, that was the Bernie Sanders of uh, Iran? That's who you're saying that was? Mossadegh was a socialist, is who he was. But he was elected by the people. Yes. He was elected by the people, but he was a socialist who... There is a no way he had the strong personality of a Bernie Sanders. That was not him. Mossadegh was, you know how he died? Right. He died living in a small village by himself, chilling. Nobody bothered him for years. True well, socialist. True well, socialist, well, he, yeah. But basically he was under house arrest. He was, but. Well, there's the, that little component. He, he, yeah. had, he had no choice yeah. but yeah. to no, die he, that little that. But he had a capitalist stuck in a socialist little first, community. Right first there. of all, first of all, when you, you're talking about a guy, you judge a country by the progress and the results that they're making. Too what sure. happens if a guy doesn't get results? You can talk shit about a parent all you want until you see the kids end up becoming leaders. You can call Belichick a dictator until they win six championships. You can call Tom Brady as a quarterback a dictator because he's, you know, off the, you know, he's such a nice guy. And then you talk to his opponents and Pittsburgh Steelers and they're like, dude, you guys don't know the Brady we know. This is a dirty guy. This is a competitor. This is a psycho guy, right? So, okay, but he wins. He got results. So. Iran under the Shah made a lot of progress. That's all I'm saying. The That's progress true. was made under him. No but question. But make the, make the point you were making when he asked the question. What was the question? You asked the question about the fact that, you know, what happened uh, uh, during, and you were talking about the, uh, uh, Hova, 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 Hoveida and what he went through and, the, the, you know, at the time. Because, by the way, do you know what happened to Hoveida at the end? Do you no. know why they killed him? Do you know the cause for why they killed him? Well, he was found guilty. For what, though? Do you know what he was found guilty for? No. You ready? Craziest thing. He was found guilty. He was tried by the new established revolutionary court under Khomeini for waging war against God. Oh, yeah, that whole thing. That's right. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Waging war against God. Waging war. Can you imagine if that was a very provable charge right there? Very provable charge. And they executed this guy at 60 years old. I think he was 60, maybe like 60 or 70 years old. Yeah, I think he was 60. I think it's just very interesting because I'm an American. I'm Jewish, quite frankly. And I, I look at things from more of Middle Eastern relations, a lot of times from the Israeli perspective. Um, but I just think it's very important because obviously Pat born in Iran, we cover you know Iranian topics, uh, what's going on there, everything they're doing, nuclear, you know, everything with that. I just think it's very important to po- to point out how different Iran was at one point, and how quickly under certain regimes things can change, right? It, it's yeah, it's almost night and day what you're describing of the the rich places or people are coming all over the world. The Elizabeth Taylors are hanging out there. The Sinatra's performing, and now it's like. Pat can't even go visit the country if he wanted to. That's how different Iran is. And I just think that's important to, to highlight. It's, yeah. Well, I, if I, I go, I'm definitely taking the two of you, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm not going with you. <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> I mean, nothing. I'll go anywhere in the world with you except Iran, probably. Are there, are there I, any, I'm not that crazy. Are there any countries <laughs> you are literally not allowed to go at this point of your career? Uh... Well, I don't think I would be welcome in Iran okay. at all. I don't know whether I'd be allowed to go there or not, but I probably wouldn't be allowed to leave. That's perhaps more important. John Perkins, let me ask you another question. You, you know, we've sat down with... Um, I'm not allowed to go to North Korea. Well, nobody really was well, in the, encouraged to go there. But we've sat down with, you know, mafiosos. You know, Pat has done uber amount of interviews with... Uh, the, he, na- names of names of names. We all know that. 
And I, I, I'm always wondering, like, do these guys fear for their life? What kind of retribution? Who, what, what person out there is the son of someone that they killed? They come back. Do you fear for your life at all? I mean, you're an economic hitman. You've a self-described con man who has literally sat down with presidents, prime ministers, dictators. Some of them haven't made it out of the uh, much longer out of the meeting. So where do you stand on fear and well, fear of life? You, I, I, I don't mean to put you down, but you obviously didn't read the new Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which was published in 2016, where I talk about I was poisoned uh, and lost uh, 70% of my large intestine to a hospital in New York City. I was supposed to speak at the United Nations on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. I flew up to New York from Florida, where I lived at the time, uh, on Monday, <clears throat> had lunch with this journalist who it turns out probably was not a journalist. And uh, that night I lost a, a huge amount of blood in my body, was rushed to Lenox Hill Hospital, where eventually they took out 70% of my large intestine. And a lot of the evidence points toward poison. It was never, once again, never concluded because by the time we even suspected it, the, the part of my intestine had been removed, had been incinerated, which they do immediately as they, as they pull something out of you in the hospital. But <clears throat> my life was threatened. So when I started writing the book, after I was an economic hitman, I started writing a book about my experiences and immediately got anonymous phone calls threatening my life and my infant daughter's life. And you can imagine, Pat, you've got, <laughs> you've got an infant child. Uh, and and at, at the same time, I was taken out to dinner by the president of Stone and Webster, a big consulting firm in Boston, and been a competitor of, of my companies that I just left. And uh, he takes me out to dinner. And he says, "Hey, you know, you've got a great resume. You were chief economist at one of our competitors. You had 50 people working for you. Uh, we'd like to use your resume in our proposals. Uh, you don't have to. You won't have to do any work for us. But just let us use your resume, and I'm prepared to write a check to you tomorrow for five hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars. Mm. This is in the late '80s. It was worth more than it is today. It was <laughs> millions at this point. Yeah, and uh, he and then he says, just don't write the book. So in fact, I'm getting the same treatment that I've been giving these presidents. I'm being offered, a, a, you know, I'm, I'm now without a job. Yeah. I'm being offered half a million dollars in, in one hand, and the other hand, yeah. And uh, so, we'll, do you deserve that treatment, though? Well, does anybody deserve that kind of treatment? I'm asking <laughs> you. I, I live a pretty moral life. I don't. I don't. I don't fear for my life, but. A lot of the stuff you're doing kind of, well, I assume, I, comes with the territory. Well, I wanted to expose what I'd done and write the book, but I I took the money. Uh, and I have to say in my own defense, I didn't uh, go out and buy a fence. But, but you I, did I, take I, the money. I did take the money. I didn't buy a Ferrari. Uh, it's a good car. She looked into it. I know a couple of guys that have them. Yeah, yeah I probably should have. But, no, the, the way you said that, I'm probably never going to drive that Ferrari. Again. <laughs> yeah. There was helicopters all around the house last night, and Jen was worried. Maybe they were chasing after John. I don't know. You know he's around. Yeah. So I, I actually took the money and went back to the Amazon, where I'd been a Peace Corps volunteer and, and had such a huge impression on my life. And I'd been reading how the Amazon is being destroyed. You know, so I go back to the Amazon and tell the indigenous people there, the Shwa, the Atra, people I'd lived with, I want to come and help you save your forests. And uh, this started me off on a whole new career. They said, well, if you want to change, save the forest, then don't come here and try to change us. It's your oil companies, your, your lumber companies, your mining companies. It's your dream in the north. It's your dream of big buildings and, <coughs> and, and, and Ferraris and, and other such things that are, that are destroying these forests. So change the dream of your people. So I came back and formed a, a nonprofit called Dream Change and then 
Pachamama Alliance. I began writing books about this. So, you know, I... I $500,000 to silence you was kind of the model. Yeah. Is that what it was? Don't say anything. We'll give you half a mil. Don't, don't write that book. Don't they're, write. They, they're okay with me writing books on shamanism and indigenous culture. They encourage that. In Just fact. not on. Not on what I'd done. And then my contract was over by 9-11. I'm in the Amazon with a group of people that I'm taking in to work with the, the, to save the forest. <clears throat> 9-11 happens. I fly up to New York. I go and stand and look down at that pit. And I knew I had to write this book. And I'm not saying there was a connection between what I did and 9-11, but it just struck me that I had to write this book. And this time I decided that I wouldn't contact other economic hitmen and, and jackals as I'd been doing before. So the, the word had gotten out. That's why I got the threats. Mm -hmm. This time I decided I'd write the whole book completely in secret as a confession, not as an expose, mm. but as a confession. And I figured once I got it in the hands of publishers, it would be my insurance policy. So I went ahead and did that and thought it was my insurance policy and then until I got poisoned. And then, then, then that put a different... What, you, what year was this? You said you got a half a million in 1980? Uh, yeah. That's uh, equivalent of $1.7 million today, which is not bad money that you got in 1980. Half a, a million dollars. Right Let there. me ask you, when you work for Chasty Maine, <laughs> Chasty Maine was a company that you were a chief economist for. Is that like the equivalent of a, you know, Booz Allen Hamilton type of thing today? Or who would you compare it to? I don't know that there's anybody to compare it to. We were very low profile. We were always told, don't talk to the press. Don't let anybody know what you're doing. We were a pretty powerful company, but really pro low profile. We did a lot of engineering work as well as the, the economic work. Is it still around or no? No, it was, it was bought up by Parsons. And I think it was bought up by somebody else in the name disappeared basically everything disappeared so if you were to if you were to if you were to say the the chastity main company of 1970s today would be xyz who would that be it was a it was a partnership i became a partner uh i i don't know i really don't know but it's a consulting you, you, firm or what, how would you was, uh, describe it, it it was a consulting firm but it's kind of like almost all of our work w was either for the world bank or the u.s treasury department state department uh, we did we did a lot of work for those kinds of organizations. So I, I hadn't watched Goodfellas for a while. The other day on the flight back from Vegas, I watched Goodfellas. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, his girl is like, so, you know, why, why does everybody know you? Why does everybody respect you? I mean, what do you do? He says, I do construction. Can <laughs> <laughs> obviously. But, you know, when, when you guys were asked, you know, hey, what is it that you do? Did you say, I'm a consultant? What, what did you say you did? Yeah, we're, we're, we're a consulting firm. We're <laughs> Consulting it's like firm. the most so vague term. That's the point. I, I so, consult with business. But you got to yeah. realize when you look I at do some, sales. Of, some of those companies today, the Booz Allen Hamilton and others, that Snowden used to work for and others mm -hmm. used to work for, some of these companies are also consulting companies, right? And they work directly with a lot of these major government organizations, NSA, et cetera, et cetera. So it works. It's, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So in answer to your question, yeah, I mean, General Electric. I've talked to people at General Electric and other companies that have these ties. And so it's usually individuals. It's, so a lot of people in Charles D. Maywin have no idea. In fact, after I wrote the book, I got, yeah. I got emails or letters or whatever it was in those days and calls from people who said, God, I always wondered what the heck was going on. And now, now I understand. Yeah. But the, uh, So a lot of people are totally in the dark about what's going on. There's just a few that, that would be actually doing that kind of work. Can, can I ask you a quick question just about your demeanor? When I don't feel no disrespect, I see you and I'm thinking this guy, chill, hippied out kind of dude, you know, he's, he's wearing like a Jaguar T-shirt. Are you the same person you were in the 70s? Meaning, were you a lot more stern and 
and straightforward and because you, you seem like a pretty chill guy. Have you changed significantly or is this always been you kind of casual and it's that, that was perfect for the role? I'm a lot happier now, and I th so I think I have changed a lot. Yeah, I was pretty uptight. I, I always wore, of course, I wore a tie, suit, and, mm -hmm. suit, suit and tie all the time, basically, except maybe when I was in some really hot climate where nobody else was wearing them. I wanted to fit in, but yeah, and I, and I had I had up to 50 people working for me, and I was pretty pretty strict with them. You know, I always tried to come across as as personable because that was part of my job. I, I really, I, I I say this not as a joke, but I, my job was to be a con artist. It was to con countries into accepting these deals and to back them up with very fancy econometric reports and all kinds of statistics. And I had guys that would do that, you know, mm -hmm. just like you, you, you get guys over here that can tell you how, what, what $500,000 in 1980 is worth today. Yeah, I, that's our, that's <laughs> our con man statistician over there, Tyler. But did you know you were a con man? Meaning like, I'm obsessed with the movie Catch Me If You Can, Leonardo DiCaprio. What an amazing movie, right? Yeah. But he knew what he was doing. He, he was making moves. He was doing things. He was printing out ideas, the whole thing. He was cashing checks, forging. Did you know that you were a con man or you were just kind of like, no, this is my job and I'm going to sell it and be a good company man? Well, I knew that what I was supposed to, what I, in the beginning, mm -hmm. I thought what I was doing was the right thing. I was convincing these countries to take these large loans that would increase their GDP. Got it. And I'd been to business school. Everything revolves around GDP. You know, if you can increase GDP, you've helped the country. That was what we were taught. Mm -hmm. So I believe that for a long time. Yes, I was trying to talk presidents into doing this, but I thought I was talking them into doing what was best for their people. And <clears throat> over time, so I only did that job for 10 years, but in I'd say around the beginning of year five or so, I began to see that maybe the things aren't quite like they seem, partly because I'd been in the Peace Corps, I spoke Spanish, and to a large degree because of, of Torrijos and a few other people. I, I, think, I write in the book about I was started to date very seriously a Colombian woman in Colombia. I had an office in Bogota and one in Barranquilla. I had two offices in, in Colombia. And uh, her... She had a brother who'd gone, who'd, who was part of FARC, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the, what do you call it? The mil, uh, Colombian guerrillas. Colombian guerrillas, yeah. And uh, she, uh, you know, she was, she was also putting a big buzz in my ear about, well, you, you got to understand what America is really doing here. Mm -hmm. And so I began to see this. But once I began to understand the truth behind what I was doing, I didn't want to believe it. And I think a lot of people are in this position today and, and, and always that we, you know, I was making a lot of money. I was flying first class around the world, meeting with presidents, hanging out with, you know, beautiful women and all kinds of things. I was living my dream, the American dream, I thought. So I really didn't, I, I wanted to buy into the sales job that I was getting. And, and a couple of times I started, I tried to quit. I went and talked to my boss and said, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to quit uh, or take a year or two off or do whatever. You know, I tried to be diplomatic about it. They would send me to personnel, which now is human relations, you know. and that, Human resources. That, human yeah. resources. And, and we got a great HR guy. Here. Shout out to Robert. <laughs> and, and what happened with that conversation? Well, well they, they, you know, they'd, he'd sit there and stare at me and say, how could you possibly leave? You're at the best job in the world. If you don't like what's going on exactly, you change it. You're chief economist. You're, you're, you're head of this department. And, you know, stay here and work from the inside. You know, the, the same old line. Was he selling you? Yes. Oh, oh absolutely. Okay, I, I want to transition into some current events. That's, that's what I like to do. So 
You know, one of the videos I watched of you, there was a quote of John Adams, and it said, there are two ways to conquer and enslave a nation. One is by the sword, and the other is by debt, okay? Which is part of your formula on what you guys did, right? It was a lot of debt, and you're forcing them to do whatever you want them to do, right? Okay, there's this country that is creating a lot of momentum. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's called China. And China, U.S., owes to China... One trillion five hundred, I think it's one trillion fifty billion dollars is what we owe China. Okay, one point oh five trillion in debt to China. So if this quote is right, there are two ways to conquer and enslave a nation. One is by the sword, the other is by the debt. By debt, is America enslaved to China? This is a really important question, Pat. Um, and it's the book I'm writing now. It comes out in October. It's called New Confessions of an Economic Hitman, Edition 3, China's Economic Hitman. And I've been spending the last three or four years working on this book. China owns the world now, pretty much. And they do it under the guise of the New Silk Road, which is very appealing to countries in Africa and Latin America and the Middle East and all over that will become part of an, of an international trading network. The United, we, our economic hitmen were never smart enough to come up with that kind of a scenario. They've got a great message. And yes, the, I think it, the United States and China are incredibly interwoven. And China's winning this battle, if you want to call it a battle. But at the same time, the United States is also gaining a lot. So our investors have over $100 billion invested in China. You know, where would Microsoft be without China? Where would Apple be? Where would, you know, where would any of these high-tech companies be without China and its technology? A third of all the international students in the United States today are Chinese. They're here learning incredibly from us. They're learning all about us. We're not doing the same thing. We're criticizing China, but we're not really sending many people over to really try to understand what's going on in China. They don't let you. Oh, yeah, they do. No, they don't. You can go and study in China. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. When it comes down to media, we're open. We tell the world about our problems. China doesn't tell the world about their problems. They're, no, they're, they're very much of a uh, secrecy where we can't learn about them. That's a, that, that, that's, that's a misconception, Pat. I hate to say it, but I, I taught in a business school in Shanghai, an MBA school. It's, it's constantly ranked as one of the top ten in the world, along with Harvard and Stanford and so on. The Chinese students there know everything about what's going on in the world. They, many of them studied here or in, or in Europe. I don't think you got what I said. I said, we don't know about what China's doing, because China doesn't want the world to know what they're doing. Well, we can go there and learn. They don't have open media. They don't have a free press. Well, they don't. There's no social media in China. No, no, just they don't have free press. You say one bad thing about the Xi, you're Jack Ma, you disappear for five months. Everyone's scared shitless. Their biggest influencer on their biggest platform, that's a TikTok type of a model, she had like 50 million followers. She disappeared just because she said one bad thing and supported the people in. Yeah, that's true within China. But outside of China, there's a lot of information that's available. What is the information that you think is not available? What do you mean, what is the information that's not available? China says the unemployment is 2%. Do you believe that? Do you believe their unemployment is 2%? I do. You believe China? I believe 1.5 billion people living there, slave trade. You're talking about people working in, you know, uh, uh, the Uyghurs. Yeah, the Uyghurs. You're saying their unemployment is only 2%? Come on, John. I mean, you're counting me right now if that's what you want me to believe. Well, I don't know whether it's 2%, but it's low. 
It's very low. It's, 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 it's low. I mean, they're putting people to work tremendously. They've brought close to 800 million people out of poverty in the last 30 years. That's more than the whole rest of the world combined. Which is true. They, they, great for them. They, they, I mean, and they've had, part they, of that they, is a, had a bit on the yeah, back of America. 10% average annual growth in their economy. Would it never happen without Nixon and U.S. though? Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't know that. You, of course, the world knows that. Well, Nixon went there, you mean? Nixon is the reason why the trade yes. opened up with China. So it, it happened on the backs of America. Well, that's well. you can say that, but you can also say that America has tremendously profited off China. Because, as I said, our high-tech industries wouldn't be here yeah. without, without Chinese goods. I, I don't know. I think that's a strategically a flawed uh, – that's a flawed strategy U.S. took, which I would agree with that. They rely too much on one country, and now they're paying a price for it. Yeah. So, so who's so? What I'm trying to say is, there's a tremendous interrelationship between these two countries right now. I don't think we can survive without China right now, and I don't think China can survive without us. They need our market, and the two countries have an incredible exchange of of information and knowledge. All of our high tech companies, like Apple, and uh, have offices have, have facilities in China. Their high tech companies have facilities here. There's a huge interchange. In that, and I think what we need to do instead of just always looking at China as the bad guy, and yes, China's made a lot of mistakes. They've done a lot of horrible things. Yes, the Uyghurs and 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 what's going on in the South China Sea, what's going on in Taiwan and Hong Kong. I'm not apologizing for China. What I am saying is, in, in this world today, these countries are very interdependent. This is not like the Soviet Union in the United States. We were never interdependent. We did not rely on the Soviet Union for technology or anything else. Soviet Union never offered the world anything the world really wanted. The Soviet Union was powerful because it had nuclear weapons. That's it. They're That's an it. eighth of China's economy, by the way. Right. It's not even... That's Russia yeah. today. The so yeah, yeah. And the Soviet Union. But, you know, I knew a lot of students in Latin America who were Marxists. Mm-hmm. And they would go to school in Russia. But they didn't consider Russia to be Marxist. They considered Russia to be Stalinist. And they did not want, want Ecuador or Peru or Argentina to have any government like the Soviet Union. They did not want to have the economy of the Soviet Union. They do want the economy that China has. They want to see the kind of growth that China has demonstrated to the world that it can do. From 1973 until now, China's had incredible economic growth. You know what's happened in the United States? Mm. We've gone from 60% of the population being in the middle class to 50%. We have not had an increase in average wage when you account for inflation since 1973. Why do you think that is? Terrible economic approach in our country. Terrible what? It's our our economic system in this country. I don't think it's economical system. What do you think it is? You think it's economical system. You you talked about your three guys that are the richest people that have half the money, right, that you talk about the wealth. Okay. How do you think they got that? How do you think they got that? Well, you can't generalize. I mean, there's many different Okay, how do they people, do it? Just give me your idea. How do you think they got that? How do you become that wealthy in America? If I knew, I'd probably be one of them, but I don't. No, what I'm saying you, is— You the, probably know because no, you're up there. You tell me. I, I, it's not, I'm asking you because you're— I don't know. I don't know how they got there. But, but what I do know yeah, is— but, but What you, I do but, know, Pat, is that they're not being taxed for it, and they're using—and their com- companies— are using infrastructure. They're, they're using all of Stop, our... Stop, John. That's uh, not that argument you're going to lose. To who? Who's not being taxed for it? Do you know who's paid the most taxes in the history of America? An individual. You know who's paid the most taxes ever in the history of America? No. Who? I said it's I don't a, know. It's, it's a guy named Elon Musk. You know what he paid this year? No. $11 billion. billion. 
And what percentage of that was versus his income? What was his tax? What was it's his not, tax? It's not about his tax. He didn't take incomes. If he takes income, it's he pays taxes income. on it. It's, it's not on capital gains. Yeah, right? so that's capital gains. But right. the point is, to make to pay that much taxes, that's more than every single U.S. president in the history of America combined in their lifetime. Yeah, big presidents don't make much money. Okay, so American the, presidents don't so make much go money. Go take every congressman, every senator, every president, every governor, combine all of their taxes in their lifetime. This guy paid more in one year. And guys like you and guys like others in, in, uh, in, in politics bash this guy. You know how much he gave to charity yesterday? How much do you think he gave to charity yesterday? Charity. I don't really. Six billion. So what's what's the big whoopee? But what the point what's is, what's six billion doing? I mean, what's it? How much has he taken out of the, the system? No, no. But the point is, the government who says give us more taxes, and we do, and we give them more taxes, we see nothing, and there's zero accountability. The difference is, and Elon Musk is publicly scrutinized constantly, because there is a form of accountability in the free market, free free enterprise. There is zero accountability with the government. If I go to TSA for customer service, they treat me like shit. If I go to Clear, they treat me royally. Clear is a free market company. TSA is a government organization. They flat out disrespect you at TSA. They don't at Clear. So the American people are sitting there saying, Johnny, we'll give more money to the government. Just show us what the hell you're doing with it because you haven't proven yourself. Every time you tell us, give us more money, raise taxes, raise taxes, raise taxes, we don't see any results. So, so what do you want me to do at this point? So, so Pat, t- tell me then, why has there been no real r- r- uh, increase in wages in the, in the real average wage in this country since 1973? Why has the middle class gone from 60% of the population to 50%? Why did all the, 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 the 200 or 400 and however many billionaires we've got now, what is it? Uh, it's uh, 740, 742, I think, or something like that, billionaires made... Uh, I can't remember the numbers now, but 70% more than they had during the pandemic. Why? And uh, You well, want me to give you the answer? Yeah. I'll give you the answer. Go. I'll give you the answer. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Ever wonder why politicians never spend any of their time coming out with programs to educate <laughs> low and middle income families on how to get out of debt? Ever wonder why politicians don't want low and middle income families to become wealthy and make money? Do you ever wonder, maybe these guys don't want you to be an upper class. Maybe they want to keep you at low income. Maybe they want to keep you at middle income. Why? Because if they do, every two to four years when they need your vote, they're going to get your vote. When's the last time you saw a governor, a senator, a congressman emphasize education to adults on how money works? Let me go to another step with you here. Well, on this I, to- part. I totally agree with you instantly on all of But that. I'll go to another part. I'll but, go to another part. But you're Every- not really hitting on the point. I'm going to get to the next point here because your point was that 70% of their net worth increased in the last 24 months. No problem. Let's talk about that. How much money do we print the last 24 months? What's the dollar amount? No idea. Over $5 trillion. Over $5 trillion, More than 40% of all the money in the history of America has been printed in the last 24 months. Okay? Now, they take that money. And they send, what do you call it? All these money they send to people. Stimulus checks to people. The people that are getting the money with stimulus checks, what do you think they're doing with their money? Well, for one thing, it brought a lot of kids out of poverty. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Then then the statistics would have gone up. But what do you think they do with that money? What do you think they do with that money? You tell me. Well, you you tell me what they do with that money. I'm not one of them. if If I'm accustomed to spending money and I'm spending the money buying stuff, I buy more stuff. 
And when you buy more stuff, who's running those companies that sell more stuff? The so, people at the top. So the money always flows to the top. So essentially, the politicians that you want to increase the taxes for, they're the reason why billionaires increased their net worth 70% the last two years. Well, yeah. There's a couple different things yeah. going on. It's not a blanket statement. So, And this is what I want to get to the heart about it because – the facts support that, yes, people have spent a lot more money, but they've also, more people have gotten out of debt. This is what happens when you print $5 trillion. There's, there's options. People have saved a lot more. People have, um, because with unemployment and stimulus checks, they've had a lot more in their bank accounts. They've, they've paid off debt. I think this is the first time in decades that um, debt, basically personal debt decreased uh, since the pandemic. So th it's not just a blanket but, statement but here. Go with, I'm sorry. I'm but, sorry, Adam. You can't say something like that. No, no. You can't say something like that. Okay. So go to where you just went. I'm just saying that there's, but, it's but, not everyone spent all their money. Some people save, some people got out of debt, but this is what happens when you let's, sprint five let's, trillion. Let's talk about that. Guys, like you realize if I give you, if I have a hundred dollars right now, I give it to you. Did that hundred dollars disappear? No, but the, at the but end wait, of the let day, let me, the money just, flowed to the top. But let me let me go a little bit yeah. further. If I give you hundred dollars, did that money disappear? No, it did not. The money just transferred to who? To you. Mm -hmm. If you give that hundred dollars to him, did the money disappear? Mm -hmm. No, it just went to him. If the money goes from him to him, did that money disappear? That hundred dollars still out there, right? It's just not in my hand, not in your hand, not in his hand. It's now in his hands, right? Okay, fine. That five trillion dollars that we put in the economy, where does that five trillion dollars go to? So, oh my God, I paid so many people's credit card debt and college debt. Really? Where did that five trillion go to? Pat, Pat, I'm, but where did that five? I'm asking. It's gone him. everywhere. It's gone all of it. Circulated all over the economy. A lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it went to the stock market, and that goes to basically where Elon no, Musk. It's it's bigger than that, guys. It's bigger than that. This guy is sitting here. Just gave this a strategy on how to ruin a nation. Who gives a shit where that five trillion dollars went to? Here's what a five trillion dollars, one hundred percent went to. To our debt. To our debt. Yeah. That five trillion dollars is debt. Like That's on one side of the balance we, sheet. Do you realize side, who's yes. the speaker today? Our guest today is John Perkins, economic hitman, mm -hmm. where the business philosophy is what? We can kill him with the sword or debt. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, but we paid off college debt. Oh, but we paid off credit card. Oh, but we bought more Bitcoin. Oh, but we bought more NFTs. Oh, but we... No. Bullshit. The country you love is officially enslaved to others. And what do we have to do with this money? They have to get that money from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So do we print some more money to make, oh, let's help the poor even more. This is not the strategy. I'd love nothing more. This is a 99 cent store guy. I'm a guy, my parents got a divorce. I didn't have any money when we grew up. I'm a guy that went to the military, was going to do military for 40 years. If a guy didn't sit there and say, hey, you need to kind of figure out how money works. Where the hell am I today? I'm just another guy that's sitting there saying, can you please send us more stimulus checks? This is not the right strategy. We want the same mission to help middle incomes, uh, uh, median income to go higher, but the way to do it isn't to send more money to people. That is not the strategy, because that keeps hurting, that keeps validating your business model. When you went and sat down with people like, you know, the Guatemala guy, Jacopo Guzman, when you sat down with Ecuador Aguilera, Jaime Aguilera, when you went and sat down with Panama, Omar Torrijos, when you went and sat down with, you know, Venezuela, when you, all this stuff, it just validates the formula so, works. So what, what are you saying? There's, it's good to have a country where three individuals have as much wealth as half the population. I'd call that an oligarchy. What would you call it? I, I'd really like to know. What, I, what, I what would do you, say. You, you, is that a democracy? I, do you like sports? Some. What do you, which sport do you like? Soccer. Soccer? Mm -hmm. Okay. Hockey. 
You like hockey? Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite hockey player? I haven't been following this year, actually. Who's the greatest hockey player of all time? Gretzky. Is it fair that he scored more assists and goals than anybody else by a mile? That's a shame, John. I'm appalled that we allow somebody to beat number two by so much with goals and assists. He should have never beat the greatest hockey player prior to him by so much. That is embarrassing. We should limit how much he should have beat second place because we should give more minutes to the other guy because, God forbid, Wayne Gretzky, why are you getting so many minutes? We shouldn't let him play so much. We shouldn't have these success so, stories. So, so, Let's so, so, keep people less. Let's only beat the record by one goal, not 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 six hundred goals. Pat, so you're saying John. you're saying that the American economy is a sports game. Yes, it is. You're playing a game. Capitalism is a game. So is socialism. The difference and, is and, capitalism. And, 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 the difference is capitalism. You control the game based on what you so do. So you think what you think what the United States has today is capitalism. With a touch of social, uh, with a touch of social programs. I t- it, what we have is predatory capitalism or oligarchic capitalism. I, there's a. There's, it is not true capitalism. There is because true capitalism. Yeah. True capitalism, you know, the definition of capitalism is that the means of production, manufacturing, and commerce are not owned by the government. They're yeah. owned by individuals. You're going to lose this argument when you go. Keep going. Yeah, we'll see about that. Actually, go for it. I'm enjoying this. Go <laughs> I, ahead. I am too. Yeah. I am too. Now that I think I'd have an argument like this with an Iranian. I mean, but, anyway. But this but, is but, why but, I invite you back, because I enjoy our conversation. <laughs> so let me continue. So, so in, in our form of capitalism, yeah. uh, the, 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 the government does not own individual enterprises. Okay. But the individual enterprise owners own the government. So when you go and you talk about our politicians and what they're, what they're doing and so forth, that's because they're owned by the oligarchy. That's because they're owned by so the billionaires. So who's the problem? So who's the problem? The system's the problem. The fact that corporations and the corporation owners can uh-huh. put so much money uh-huh. into well, this politics. This is what they call crony capitalism. So into, guess what? Into, into, so guess what? what they call oligarchy. So guess what? So guess what? So then, so then this goes to mm. one thing. So you think uh, we should have lobbyists? Not you on think the lobbyists level. Are not, good. Right now, we have 300 lobbyists to every member of Congress. You think that's a good thing? No. You think we should have lobbyists? Period. I think you, I think you can have middlemen, but it's not not lobbyists that are that are so totally self-oriented. How many people do you see senators and congressmen retire and become lobbyists, making six million a year? A lot. Okay, so what do you think happens there? What, why do we have that's, that? That's part of the bribery. That's part of the corruption well, of the we, system. We shouldn't have that. I agree. Okay, then. So we have one area that we agree with. We agree that the reason why these billionaires can get away with that is because they have lobbyists that they're paying money. And these senators and congressmen, if you got a half a million dollars to stay quiet in 1980, what the hell do you think they're getting behind closed doors? (laughs) Okay? If you got a half a million dollars to stay quiet in 1980, what do you think these senators and congressmen are getting wallets in? Here's $800,000. Do me a favor. Can you make sure you hurt the other small business owner so I can whoop I've, his ass? I've actually heard that a, that a congressman can be bought for ten thousand dollars. I come, thought it was a hundred thousand. Can come on your cheaper today. Can come on your side, but if you yeah. really want him to push for you, then it's a hundred thousand. I've heard it's a hundred thousand dollar number, but I don't think that's a good system, though. I don't either. Okay, so we're on the same page with that, but it's not the fault of, for example, if I, <clears> so so it's the fault of whoever created those laws. Not the fault of the capitalist. If you allow players to use steroids, if you allow players to use steroids and it's legal, guess what? That's the law. If you don't, it's not the law. You know, the MLB is no longer testing for steroids. What just happened with the Russian skater? 
she's not allowed to use steroids, but she did, and she's and 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 she's been forgiven for it. I I think they're so. They're, I guess they're still struggling with that. So we tell me how many people are watching the Olympics today. We've been. You tell me. Are you are you watching it? I think I'm in it. <laughs> the only person I know that's watching it is my dad, and he's watching this curling. I'm like, Dad, what the hell are you watching? And they're watching this curling game that's going on. But but the point but the point I'm trying to make to you is, it ain't the capitalist; it's the lawmaker. Well, but the capitalists own the lawmaker. No, because they are for sale. Yes. If they weren't for sale, this wouldn't be the case. But why are they for sale? Who do you blame? So do you blame, blame the prostitute or the John? The prostitute has a choice not to be a prostitute. The John has a choice not to be a John. No, no, but wait a minute. If the prostitute chooses not to be a prostitute, then John doesn't can't, can't find a prostitute. And the, and the prostitute goes broke because she's got no other job. No, she'll find a different way to make her money. That's maybe, on her. Maybe. maybe. No, no, it's not maybe. Uh, that's not how life works. No way. That's not how life works. Let me explain <laughs> to you how life works. And you know this is how life works. You tell a kid, listen, if you don't figure out a way to pay rent, you got to kind of figure out what you're going to do. If you're going to live here and rent from me, you're 22 years old, you got to kind of pay 600 bucks a month. No, you don't get a job. You're, you're, you're out of luck. You got to go for, live with your friends. You're a terrible dad. Fine. You're right. I'm a terrible dad. You're a terrible renter. You never pay rent. <laughs> what do you want me to do with you? Go figure life out. That kid leaves. He does some stuff that he wants to retaliate against that. Smokes weed, does a little coke, goes out there, does ecstasy. Does everything he can to trash his dad. He's going to eventually get a job. And if he doesn't get a job and ruins his life, the father couldn't have done anything about that in the first place. That's on the kid. The kid has to eventually figure out a way to survive. So that prostitute will figure out a way to make money. She doesn't have to go that route. Capitalism works. It's the laws that get people to do things that hurt others because the laws allowed that to happen. So, so let's look at a little bit of American history. I, I agree that capitalism works. Sure. But at, at the end of the American Revolution, the yeah. Continental Congress uh, and the, what became the Congress were very concerned because the, the revolution was really about the East India Company. Okay. It was m more than the crown, but the crown was very dependent on the East India Company, the crown of England. And so they passed a law that said uh, no, no no, nobody could get a corporate license, a corporate charter, uh, unless they could prove that they're going to serve a public interest. And charters lasted for only 10 years. At the end of the 10 years, you had to go back and prove that, show, demonstrate that you had proved, served a public interest, and then you could maybe get another charter. Also in there was you could, no company could buy another company or sell itself to another company. Those laws were there to protect us against corporate power because the, the, the founders were very concerned about corporate power because of the East India Company. Those laws continued for 100 years, almost about 100 years, until John D. Rockefeller came along, and he wanted to drill for oil in New Jersey. And he, Delaware, and, and he says, you know, I can't, I can't drill for oil. I can't have a 10 years. It takes a lot longer to drill for oil. I've got to be able to buy out these other companies that are competing with me. It's the only way we can get oil. So he went to the, the legislature of New Jersey first and later Delaware, and he said, you know, if you change the law so that I can have unlimited powers, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a lot of campaign money to you legislators. I'm not for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that has continued. And it's I agree. It's grown and grown and grown to the Great. point where corporations and their owners have so much power over our politicians. Now, we can argue all you want about who's who, about the prostitute and the, and the John. We can argue about but the, but who's, who is, who's at fault. Is it the politicians or is it the people that are bribing the politicians, basically, that are offering them these yeah. incredibly 
lucrative positions when they leave, or even while they're there, fi campaign financing. And then when they leave, if, if you don't get elected, we'll give you a great job as a lobbyist. Or if you did get elected when you want to retire, you, you're going to have a great job. Who's to blame for that? Yeah, I, I tell you it's the law creator. The person that creates the laws. It's, it's not the person that, that, that bribes the law. No, creator. you don't have to, you don't have to take the bribe. No, I did that, though, in other countries. And I, was, and I took the bribe myself. So that, I got to tell you, sometimes you don't feel like you really got a choice. Well, uh, fine. Let's just say sometimes you really don't think you have a choice. Your story is an extreme story when somebody comes to you and tells you it's your life and you have an infant child at that time. So I totally get the threat that you are in a situation like that. Let me, let me go to a different angle with you in the story here. Let's go a completely different area and see what angle you would take with it, okay? okay. Today, let's talk about today with what's going on with Ukraine and uh, Russia, okay? On one end, Biden's talking about the fact that, you know, Russia's going to attack Ukraine. Russia's going to attack Ukraine. Russia's going to attack Ukraine. Ukraine prime minister's like, stop saying that. You're scaring the hell out of my people. What does it matter with you? On a call to Biden, okay? So, yeah. When I saw that going on, the first person I thought about was you. I'm not kidding with you. The first person I thought about was you. Yeah, I'm thinking of going to Ukraine, actually. Okay. So then maybe you're going there to do some business. Which <laughs> So first person I thought about was you. I, oh. said, I, said, I said, I wonder how John reads this story. The day-to-day -day guy reads this story saying, oh, my gosh, Russia's going to go in there and take whatever they want from Ukraine, and it's going to suck, and... But, and then, you know, maybe somebody that's a little bit more educated, that's complete something else. Maybe somebody else that's a little bit more educated and follows news a little bit more and knows, you know, well, you know, here's what's really going on over there. And, you know, maybe somebody that's a little bit skeptical with, uh, you know, Biden talking about the fact that he had dealings with Ukraine and he's made money from Ukraine and a big guy and all that other stuff. I said, I wonder what, how John looks at this. Because I know, John, politically, which way you lean. I know which way you politically lean. But I also know, as much as whatever side I lean politically, left, right, center, registered, independent, I still, still sit there and say, huh, would, uh, would Trump have contacted Russia to help him with the election? What chances do I think that would happen? Huh. That's pretty interesting because everyone's talking about it now. And this Adam guy, Schiff, made it. There is... Certain, you know, no question about it. There's evidence that there was collusion with Russia. Like, oh shit, he just said it. Damn. And then this and this and that. And then the dossier came out. It was set up by Hillary Clinton, 35 million bucks. And then Durham comes back with the investigation. Mueller spent 40 million. This guy only needed mm -hmm. 3 million. Oh shit. It was all Hillary the entire time. She's the mastermind behind it. What a freaking dirty way of doing it. So you do to the other person and you tell, the world that that person is doing what you're doing to them, they're doing it to you. You really are a con man at the highest level. So from your end, give us all potential scenarios of what's going on with Ukraine, Russia. Let's see if you're going to be open about it instead of maybe being selective and just giving us the side that you want to give us. What do you think is going on there? I just came from NASA in the Bahamas where I was teaching a course. NASA was the pirate capital of the world at one time, pirate republic. Yeah. But, you know, the pirates never, um, they didn't want to attack other ships particularly. Why they had that big flag with the skull and crossbow was mm -hmm. just, it scared the shit out of the, <laughs> of the ships that were coming up. And, and, and most of the ships knew that if they just gave up, uh, they would have to lose, you know, whatever the pirates wanted that was on their ship, but nobody would be killed. It was the flag, the flag, the fear, the pirates would appear on the deck semi-naked or maybe naked looking very fierce and so on. I think Russia is doing that on Ukraine. I think Russia is standing on the edge of Ukraine, uh, waving that, that, that Jolly Roger skull and crossbow and flag. 
and it's trying to negotiate. It wants to. It, it does not want um, Ukraine to become part of NATO. It's trying desperately to bring people. It's been very successful, incidentally. And now, you know, the, the, the heads of many countries are talking to Putin. They wouldn't have before. So in a way, they, they're getting their way in terms of getting everybody to talk to them. The United States is getting all upset and involved in it. And uh, certainly Biden is wanting to look very strong. It's, a, it's an election year, and he's, he's wanting to look strong. So he's, he's, he's making it sound as though Russia is absolutely going to attack Ukraine. Who knows? But I don't I, – I was – Speaking at a at a conference in Russia in 2017, along with Putin, we were both speaking at the conference. I got to know his his uh, top, top economic advisor Sergei Glashov very well. He and I flew to Kazakhstan together and spoke there. Um, you know that the, the sense I got is that, that that Putin is a very shrewd operator. <laughs> he's very very clever, and he knows the world pretty well. And so he's trying to get whatever he can out of this. He's using the leverage of his troops on the border to get talked with all kinds of people, to get recognized. He loves, he loves to be on the front page. He's getting on the front page a lot. Will he actually attack Ukraine or not? I, I have no idea. But I do know that, I, that we are, the United States and many other countries are feeding into his hands. You don't think there's anything else going on there that's politics behind closed doors that we don't know about? Oh, the, oh there's lots of stories behind the stories for sure. Any, any potential, like, what if what if it could be maybe this, it could be this, it could be that? What, what are some things you would speculate if somebody hired you to investigate this? Well, I think it could be part, part of it is uh, that, that Putin is trying very hard to win friends with China. He sees that China is going to probably control a third of the world's economy in the next 10 years. That's, that's the way it's headed. Uh, Russia is a country that's kind of left out at the moment. You've got uh, China and the United States are center stage right now. They're, 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 they're uh, duking it out, so to speak. And Russia's left on the outside. So Putin's struggling very hard to get back in there. So you think that's the only thing? You think the only thing is the fact that Putin is trying to get back in there? And he's trying to get closer to China. You, you don't think there's anything else that's going on that's skeptical from our end? Well, you obviously have some idea about that. I'd like to I actually that. don't. I don't have anything. I'm asking you because you, you're the guy. For example, if I talk to a divorce attorney and I'll say, hey, give me the 10 reasons why people get a divorce. <laughs> a divorce attorney's done hundreds of divorces. going to be like, well, number one at the top is infidelity. Okay, number two. You know, they're high school sweethearts, so they did it because she got pregnant early and he had to make it look good and say, okay, number three is because he used to be broke, now he's famous, and he's the number four. The divorce attorney is going to be able to speculate all these different reasons, right, that people get a divorce. I'm asking the economic hitman to say why would something like this take place. Let me go to a different level. I want you to be creative because I know you're very creative, okay? Your strength is being very, very creative, John. If, let's just say... Um, you took a half a million dollars from the people that met with you at, uh, 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 you know, in one point one one point seven. Million. That's a lot of money, right? <laughs> you didn't buy a Ferrari, by the way. Good for you. Um, should have. You should have bought a Ferrari. Would have been worth thirty million today if you would have bought one. But but let's just say you got a call from somebody at the U.S. government, and they said, John, forget about the one point seven million. We'll double that. And they represent a consulting firm. <laughs> and this consulting firms, we can call it JBN Associates, whatever you want to call it, okay? And their specialty is construction, okay? <laughs> and they call you, they say, hey, John, 
we'll give you $3.4 million. There is a guy that's a podcaster we cannot stand. We would love anything to destroy this guy and get him off air. If you pull it off, we'll give you the $1.7 million up front. We'll give you another $1.7 million once you get him off. How would you do it? So if you were offered a number like that, which is kind of cool, you can go to the Amazon and buy three alligators. You can go freaking, <laughs> I don't know, you can do a lot of shit with that, right? <clears throat> How would you? I mean, obviously nothing like this is going on in America today. I'm just saying if there was a podcaster that's a very big podcaster and he gets you know more views than CNN, Fox, MSNBC combined per week. Let's just say there's a guy like that out there. It's not happening, but let's just say this. How would you destroy this guy's life if somebody offered you $3.4 million to get him off air? How would you do it? <laughs> well, I'd probably first of so all curious. Want, want to appear on his show and, and 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 make him look, you know, like he doesn't really know what he's talking about. So you would go on his Th- show. That was that would be a start. Okay, good. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know, then I'd probably let the air out of the tires of his Ferrari if he had one. Let's, let's okay. assume that this guy had a Ferrari. This guy actually doesn't have a Ferrari. He drives a Dodge Ram. <laughs> well, then I would I, I, I would buy him a Ferrari. You would buy him a Ferrari. <laughs> I don't think he cares about a Ferrari. Okay. But honestly, what do you do to this guy? Okay, because we're living in a time where I yeah. think your model is not as effective today as it was 50 years ago. Absolutely. But it is effective in different ways because yeah. today it's not an economic. No, it may no. you be a character assassination. It, so how well, would you ruin well, so, so today what you do it is social media. You so know, what do you do? What well, do you do with you, this guy? You hire some really good social media people to go after this guy and create all kinds of lies about him, based, some of them based on, based, okay. based, cool. based, based on, on, on truth. There's a little bit of truth here. A little um, bit of manipulation. A little bit of manipulation okay, of cool. the truth, yeah. And, and you go after him in whatever way you can. And it would depend on the guy. That, can, you, can you get him to really expose himself? Can you get him to get, to, to get really angry? I mean, what, what can everybody you do? loves him. He's loved by, yeah, by all his followers. Yeah, they well, love him. Maybe you can get him to use one of the words that we're not supposed to use anymore okay. on, on the so air. So that's one way to do it. Yeah, get him. Get but him. what if you find that and then the opposition comes back and says, well, Howard Stern said this and Joe Biden used the word and this person used the word. So then, then what's your next move if that happens? What do you do then? <laughs> what do you do then, John? I need your help, John. <laughs> You're the economic hitman. I'm trying to figure this puzzle out, and I'm leaning on you. I think I don't that, have your that, level that, of education. I, I know the guys. You know the guys. I know, <laughs> I know, but I think that ultimately the, the point that you're making at is that whatever John's answers are, they are what they are. But these conversations are taking place. No, what, is I, what you're basically saying, Adam. What I'm, tr- I'm on, on the serious note. Yeah. I am relying on his ability to be creative to tell us if somebody were to do something like that, how you go about doing it. That's what I'm trying to get from John. And I don't know if John's giving us the answer. I think John's playing it safe right now. Well, no, I think John doesn't know because, okay. because I've been out of this business for a long time. I'm a, I, you're, I'm, you're pretty I'm, shrewd, I'm a, though. I'm a, I'm a writer now. But I mean, no, seriously. You know, but I do know that today... Uh, character assassination is such an amazing thing, and, and there's people that specialize in it. I yeah. guess if I, truly, if I were in that position, I would hire one of those people uh, to uh, you know to do whatever they do. If 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 I really wanted to do that, but I think you know what that I think mm. beyond all that, I would really have to look at why am I trying to do this? Money. You said some people are uh, you can be bought. Yeah, but three point four million dollars. I'm trying to get somebody to call you and give you that three point four million dollars if yeah, you but, can do this. Yeah, but maybe I don't want to. Maybe, maybe the money isn't worth it to me anymore. 
and 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 maybe what's the point? Why why why? I guess I'd have to ask why do we want to get this guy off the air? You want to get this guy off because the air? Because he he puts people on that he <clears throat> interviews that call you out and expose you, and the per- people in power are sick of it because all the manipulation about masks and all this you know hypocrisy. Where Mayor Garcetti says, hey, you, whenever I take pictures without a mask on, I hold my breath. I literally peed my pants when he said that in an interview. And then he's at the Super Bowl without a mask on ever. And all these celebrities that say we should put masks on. Kids the next day are going to have to wear masks, but they don't. And this guy talks about it. And he's kind of undermining the White House. And that's not cool. So we have to figure out a way to silence this but guy. Isn't, isn't that part of democracy? But not today. Because today is all about censorship and character assassination. It's a business model that's worked very well the last two decades. I don't know if you've been following it. It's a very effective strategy. Yes, it is an effective yeah. strategy. Yeah. But I know we, we would like to have a democracy where you and I can talk, where you can go to your own podcast and say, Pat's full of shit. And I think Patrick is linked to the show, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, great. And let people decide and say, I agree with John. And I think the Jaguars real representation of honesty. And I don't, I don't like Pat, what he has to say. But they have to make that decision. Right. I'm Team Tiger. Your team Jaguar. <laughs> Slightly different. Let me ask you a different question. Then. Here's a different question. Okay, this is your world. You can't tell me you don't know, John. You can't play the. Oh, I'm not following that story. Okay, Pat, so, Pat, Pat, Pat. I just, I, I, I just recently heard you talking about how you never make promises. You never say you can't do something if you don't can't okay. follow through on fair it. So well, I am not. Enough. I'm going to play your game. I'm going to. Oh I, 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 I respect your. Oh I respect your gosh. integrity. John. I agree completely John. with you that you don't offer something that you can't deliver. You know on. what? This, this is why I know. You like Omar Torrijos as much as you do. I know you like him as much as you do. So let me read you what just happened this week. I don't know if you're following it or not. No one knew. I'm sure you're not. But, it, you know, some stuff's been happening this week. Some crazy stuff happened this I, week. I, I've been in the Bahamas. <laughs> been, your perfect I, alibi, John. Perfect, perfect alibi. And you, and, you know, and I want you to Swirl know that the I was teaching in the Bahamas uh, okay. at, at, a, at a Hindu ashram. So you can imagine how much news I was getting there. You can't even yeah, get a, you can't even I'm get a, you, sure. you can't even get a cup oh, of coffee I'm there. I'm sure you you're not following this. Is story. that what they're I'm calling? So, so let me read this story. Let me read this story. Let me read this story. Yeah. Clinton campaign paid to infiltrate Trump Tower, White House servers to link Trump to Russia. Okay, now who would do such a thing? Because she's a very you know she's always been known as a sweetheart. So lawyers for the Clinton campaign paid a technology company to infiltrate servers belonging to Trump Tower, and later the White House, in order to establish an inference and narrative to bring to government agencies linking Donald Trump to Russia, a filing from special counsel John Durham says, okay? And for the last three, four years— This is the Durham connection. Yes, Yes, let me go. And for the last four years, everybody's been saying Durham's going to find nothing, Durham's going to find nothing, Durham's going to find nothing. Well, he did, right? right? Okay. Durham also writes that during former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman's trial— the government will establish that among the internet data tech executive one and his associate exploited <laughs> was domain name system DNS, internet traffic pertaining to a particular healthcare provider, Trump Tower, Donald Trump's Central Park West Department building, and the executive office of the president of the United States. So John Durham is saying that Hillary Clinton essentially hired a company to have a link to Russia, even though he wasn't doing it, to say he is, it's a setup. Now, as a person who's a former economic hitman like yourself, 
who you've gone and you've sat down with prime ministers and you've said, if you don't do this, things are not going to be good for you. Can you see anybody deceptive enough in politics that would ever do such a thing to our former president, Donald Trump? Absolutely not. We have a clean system here in the United States. Why would we, why would we even consider that anybody would do something so, so dastardly? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I figure you're going to say that because the level of nobility in our politicians is just incredible, <laughs> right? Semi-saint status. Now, here's what I did. Yes. I still want to get your thoughts on this. I want you to type in Durham, um, uh, what do you want to put, Durham Investigation? Okay, and then, and then put Durham Investigation. And that's it. That's all I want you to put. Take the rest of it out. And then go to News. Type in News. Okay, so watch this. Uh, why does it do it that way? Uh, go back to All. Go back to All at the top. All right, let's, can you make it a little bit bigger so we can read everyone how they titled it? So your favorite word CNN uses, the same word they use against you. Alleges. Special Counsel Durham alleges Clinton campaign lawyer used data to raise, if you can click on that so I can read the rest of the title, to raise uh, suspicious about, suspicions about Trump, right? Now go back and let's read the next title. The next one is from New York Post. Ex-DNI Ratcliffe expects more indictments in Durham's Russiagate probe. Fox News says Clinton campaign paid to infiltrate Trump Tower, White House service okay. linked to Trump, to the Hill, Durham alleges, alleges cyber analysis ex exploited access to Trump White House. New York Times, court filing started a fewer in right-wing outlets, but their narrative is off track. Can you go to the uh, Wall, Wall Street Journal, which is an independent source that, you know, just happened, uh, WS, there you go. Trump really was spied on, okay? And people trust Wall Street Journal because it's typically in the center. That's an opinion piece, though. Yeah, I know it is an opinion piece. I read that as well. But so, so what, what, is, what is going on well, I'll here? I'll tell you what's going on. Yeah, so, tell us. So, so there's four pillars of the economic hitman strategy. Okay. I've been writing about this. The Chinese here using it. Here we go. Yeah, using we got it. We're right. getting into it. All right. So, so the first is, is fear. Uh, fear of another country, fear of whatever. The second is debt. The third is uh, debt, like D-E-B-T. Debt, -E -E, okay, yeah, got debt, it. loans, yep. money. Fear, debt. Fear, debt, uh, anxiety over insufficiency. We don't have enough. We need to sell our oil to the other companies so we can have better education, so on and so forth. And, and the third is divide and conquer. And as time's gone on, these things have changed. So during the early times, and this is this, those, those four pillars have been there for. Say these four again, or no? There's fear, debt, debt, anxiety over insufficiency, divide and conquer. Right. Okay. And those have been around for a couple of thousand years. That they've been used in one way or another. Yeah. And and in the in the past, most of, a lot of our history was mainly fear, and it was actual invasions and or fear of invasion. It's like fear mongering. The, yeah, like the old pirate thing, you know, the the, the, the Jolly Roger going up. But what we're really getting into these days is the last one, which is divide and conquer. And right now in the United States, we're having this incredible experience of divide and conquer. So the Republicans and the Democrats will never agree on things. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's, 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 uh, it's a very incredible tactic that's, that's making America appear to the world as highly dysfunctional. And that's what's happening. On the other hand, the, the, let's call it the autocratic, whatever you want to call it, governments like China are looking very good to a lot of other countries in Latin America and Africa and so on because they can accomplish something. And I think that's, that's actually why, why Trump was so popular for one of the reasons, because he seemed as though he was moving on a track where he would take command, he, he, would, he would do that kind of stuff. Um, so I think what we're seeing here 
is that divide and conquer. It's like Hillary's doing this, Trump's doing that, the Republicans are doing this, the Democrats are doing that. Uh, it's a breakdown of, of a system. Yeah, but there's a difference, uh, John. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Here's a difference. And both of you guys are more on the same side than where I'm at with this because I'm very skeptical about what this is all about. Here's the difference. John, not a single outlet needed any information to go out there for three years, talk about Trump was linked to Russia. They needed no, nothing was confirmed for three and a half years. That's what, uh, they, what they, they convinced America that that's what it was. They had nothing. There was no allegedly. It was, it is certainty. It's happening. He's with Russia. He's team Putin. He's Putin's puppet. Everybody said it with certainty, and I, America believed. No. No? I, I, you want me to go play the replay, the greatest hits? You want me to bring you the greatest hits? Well, well you don't think uh, that's what yeah, was happening? I, I, don't think, I don't think all of America agreed by any means. Oh, yo, of course America didn't believe, because America doesn't trust mainstream media. Of exactly. course. But what exactly. I'm saying to you is 99% of media, that's all they talked about. That's right. That's all they talked And they convinced the people, a lot of them, that this was a real thing and, going and, on. Now, here's the thing. Trump hadn't done any of this stuff. Right. Okay? None Allegedly. of this stuff. Okay? Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you know, that. so it's a huge distraction. So what are we really dealing with in the world today? We're, we're dealing with a very dire circumstance that... that, that Don't digress, John. No. Don't digress. I'm not. You're digressing. I think you are. We, I'm, we, I'm we, right we, on point with Durham. You're digressing. You're going to a completely different place right now. No. Where I'm, where I'm going to yeah. is the idea that the United States is, in, is locked in a battle with China. Our economic hitman strategy, their economic hitman strategy. Yeah, then, then Hillary's team China? Is that what you're saying? Okay, no, maybe saying, you're I'm right. S- I'm saying all of this is distracting us from that. That's not the point, though. That, no, no, let's stay on topic, though. I agree okay. with you. I agree with you that China's winning. I don't disagree with you. And, and what are we doing? We're getting distracted by, by these oh, kinds of so things. We're getting, such a great play. We're getting such we're, a great yeah, play. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with you. We're, and I'm we're not, also getting distracted by the mask thing, the vaccination thing. There's so shit. many things that well, are— that, Well, yeah. that's like saying that we can't um, do two things at once. And there's a lot of things that we're going to be doing at once. The China thing, like, for, me, for instance, the bigger distraction, I think, is Ukraine to China. I think we should stop focusing on—I think Ukraine is a lot of smoke and mirrors that you brought up— that Putin is maybe allied with China. I think that's a European thing. The EU, NATO, they need to take over what's going on in Ukraine. I don't think United States needs to mess with it at all. What I will say about this, and I uh, very much was guilty of the Trump narrative because for years and years and years, Trump, Trump, uh, Putin, puppet, all, everything pat. But what they're saying here is actually a, a scandal of the highest proportion, if it's true. If this is true, this is way bigger than Watergate. For years and years and years, they were basically shitting on Trump, saying that he was Putin's puppet. And believe me, Trump did nothing to help that with his secret meetings and, you know, Russia, if you're listening, and all that. He didn't do anything to help him. But basically, if this turns out to be true, and right now, it seems like they're throwing this guy, Michael Sussman, under the bus. Don't be surprised if he turns into the next Jeffrey Epstein. Wink, wink. So, but if this is true, and Hillary did do this, and did plant, what, what's the use of the word? Infiltrate Trump Tower, and did put that in there, and then she tweeted about it a couple days before the election. If this turns out to be true, this is Watergate of the highest proportion. And you know what? As much as it pains for me to say this, 
Trump might have been right. He might have been actually correct when he said that they were spying on his campaign. Because one of the last interviews he did with uh, 60 Minutes, what's the the, 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 yeah, the lady's lady. name? Yeah. She's like, come on, uh, President Trump. You know that's not true. He's like, no, it is. Barbara Stahl, I believe, is her name. Yeah. I'm not a Trump fan. And part of the reason I'm not a Trump fan is because I've been spoon-fed this misinformation about Trump, about, about Russia, much like most of America. But if it turns out that, it, that Hillary actually did do this, she's got some explaining to do. Yeah, so let me ask. And, what, and last point, it's not just me. 66% of Democrats, according to this poll, 66% of Democrats want Hillary investigated over Russiagate. Yeah. So, so, so it's so, so, pretty so. interesting what's happening out there. And last thing, if I put into YouTube, YouTube, because the articles are a lot easier, especially with mainstream media to write, put it out there, boom, it's done. Yeah. You put it into YouTube, it's only Fox News that's covered this story. So either Fox News is just doing what they do, riling up the base, or they're actually the only news outlet that is actually covering this. So Am let, I making sense here? Yeah, but let me ask you both. So, so what is the significance of this in the in the long run? What, where, uh, what, 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 what's, what's the potential I'm sorry. outcome? I'm sorry, John. What's the potential Are outcome? Are you kidding me? So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the billionaires who are illegally using crony capitalism methods to hurt people, should they be held accountable? Wait, wait this is a diversion from the question. I'm about to get to your answer, though. Do you think they should be held? Because that bothers you a lot, what these billionaires are doing. You're bothered with the three people that have 50% of wealth, which is what you're saying, more than the bottom 50% of wealth, right? That bothers you. Yes. Okay. The same way that bothers you, this is the ultimate, ultimate manipulator because you're, you're saying, who cares if something no, like this happens? No, I, I, no, I'm about accountability. Pat, I did not say who if, cares. If I say, where is, where, what, what is the logical outcome of this? Of this? Yes. If she is doing that, she needs to be held accountable and go to jail. Truth accountability yeah, and that's penalty. what she did because it whoever needs to scare the crap out of the next person the same yeah. thing yeah. same thing if it trump did do it yeah you can't truth accountability and penalty if he did true collude with russia that's, that's exactly what would have been true. accountable to him true but the same thing should be for clinton right if this turns I, out to so, be her totally agree truth accountability and, and what's page. the penalty and we're on the same, same thing with yeah. lobbyists crony capitalism taking yeah. payments all that yeah yeah no. Accountability is the key. That's the main thing. Because it totally. Once account, you know how people Trans say and transparency. You know how people say stuff like, "I don't trust my vote means nothing." My vote yeah. means nothing. That's, if there's no accountability, or people are like, "My vote yeah. means nothing." No, I totally agree yeah. with you. I mean, both of these. Yeah, that's that's why why I ask. So, what is the final outcome of this? Can we get at the truth? And if we can get at the truth, will the system punish whoever's whoever's wrong? I don't wrong? think it will. I, I that's the problem. That's part of the. I don't problem. think it will. That's part of the problem. Yeah. And as you said, as Adam says, if it's if Trump's the problem, he should be held accountable. If, if Hillary's the problem, she should be held accountable. But will they be held accountable even if we do discover yeah. which one well, is the, the problem? Well, the, the, the reality is, and this is what Pat always says, that, what, 12% controls America. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's 42% they're going to vote Republican regardless. There's 44% they're going to vote Democrat regardless. Right. There's a couple percentage they're going to vote for Ralph Nader and the Green Party and Joe Jorgensen and the Libertarian, whatever. But there's 10 to 12 percent usually in the Midwest, Rust Belt. They're going to see this and say, I don't know. It turns out I was lied to. And that's, you know, why I think um, yeah. that Republicans are going to steamroll uh, in the midterms. So we'll see. Um, but I think regardless, if they do steal, like what's the outcome? We're talking about outcomes here. If, mid, if the Republicans do 
basically trample Democrats in the um, midterms, which I think a lot of people expect them to do. I mean, that's just politics. Yeah, yeah. It, always, it almost always happens. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. now Republicans will control Congress. We're going to be hearing a lot more about this. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, and the question is, how do we really get at the truth? And, you know, it's a, not an easy one to answer these days. It's, and I'm not, not sure that it ever has been, but I think in a way it's, it's tougher than ever. You know, I want to ra- I want I think, to, I think we're getting close to the end here. Yeah. So I, I want to raise a subject that I'd like to have you deal with at some point. And that is that um, if there was a huge UFO hovering over us, aliens getting ready to attack us, yeah. What would China, Russia, the United States, India, Brazil, what would we do? This is the movie Independence Day, I believe, is what you're describing. No, right now. I don't know whether it's a, but, but what would we do? Would we come together, do you think, to yeah. protect us? Yeah. Sure. That's and, what they did in Independence yes, Day, Will and I, Smith. And I would like to say, that's an old movie now, isn't it? God, yeah, I but mean, it's exactly what you're yeah. saying, is that yeah. so I, so I would, if we had a common enemy, yeah. right? So I would like to suggest right now that the way we human beings are looking at the world has alienated us from the world. We are the aliens. We've said that we are apart from, not a part of, nature. We are supreme over. It's human supremacy over nature. And as a result, there's huge problems that are sweeping the planet today. So my suggestion, what I'm writing, what I'm trying to go with this book, is that there's an economic hitman system that the United States has perpetuated, and now China's doing it, has learned from our mistakes and our successes, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're outdoing us in it. The hope, I think, for the world is that if we can all kind of define ourselves as, as the aliens, that we've, and it's not humans, it's our perception of what it means to be successful humans. It's this idea that, yeah, you got to throw one more pass, make one more touchdown, make one more billion. There's, all, all, there's so much that goes into this. But, but what it's doing is it's threatening your, 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 new, your newly born child's life. You know, what kind of a world can we expect? We've got, we've, yeah. got, we've got to work together. So we can disagree. I think the Chinese and the Russians and yeah. the Indians, we can disagree on so many things. But we, let's agree that we're going to come together to fight the aliens. Totally and, get it. The, re- the problem here with that example is the alien is on the inside. And when the alien's on the inside, you have a shit show. <laughs> the call's so, coming so, from the, so, within yeah, the house. So the, the problem <laughs> is that, that, that we, need to, we need to hold people accountable for us to have a little bit more trust in the fact that we can unify. That's no, I, th- no. I think accountability leads to increase of trust. By the way, uh, as much as you and I banter every time we're together, you have no idea how much I look forward to the next time we're together. And I'm being serious with you. I enjoyed every single freaking time <laughs> we too. talk. Every time we do this, I enjoyed. Are you in town or you're leaving uh, today? What, what? I'm leaving tomorrow. You're leaving tomorrow? Yeah. Are you okay if I treat you to the really good restaurant tonight? And uh, You can go with whoever you're going. I got your bill. Is that okay with you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, so yeah. afterwards, I'm going to tell you about where I want you to go. You're going to enjoy yourself when you go there. I, but. And I want to say one thing, Pat. Yeah. And I was saying to some of your staff yeah. outside there, I love the way you do things. I love your show because I, I, I think you are one of the few people that really is trying to get at the truth. And you come at it from sometimes an angle that I don't particularly like, but I like the fact that that's what you're doing. And I, I, I admire that. I appreciate I, that. I pre- that. That I, means a lot I, coming from I, you, believe I, I pre- it or not. I appreciate you. I thank you for that, that compliment. Dang, and we're I trying to stay on your good side. We don't need any economic <laughs> hitman yeah. on, on our bad side. I will receive it. So, guys, a couple things. Number one, his latest book, Touching Jaguar. Put the link below for them to go get it. Uh, if you end up buying Touching Jaguar, don't do it without buying the new 
Confessions of Economic Hitman, you have to read that book. If you've not read it, I know it's an older book that did well many, many years ago. You just got to know what this business model is. So order Touching Jaguar and order the new Confessions of Economic Hitman. With that being said, John, thank you so much for coming out. Folks, we're doing it again next Thursday. This Thursday. I, uh, this Thursday. I think this Thursday is Jason Miller. Who was part of? Who, he was part of Trump's camp. Mm-hmm. Part of uh, Trump's administration and the founder and CEO of Getter. Of Getter, which is the one that uh, uh, Joe Rogan talked about, and one day they got five hundred thousand new followers. Right. Okay, for those of you guys that are following by Tim in the direction that we're going, one of the new shows that we just launched in, uh, or today, which I'm very very excited about, is called Perfiles. Perfiles profiles. Perfiles. We go to small business owners who are from Colombia, who are from <laughs> Cuba who are from Argentina, who are from uh, many different places, Spanish specifically, and they're sharing their testimony of how they got here. It's a very, I had my, I had Melva watch this with my dad. Melva started crying. She was watching one. It's such an emotional episode if you watch this. And we're releasing the first one today. Small business, these are not billionaires. These are not millionaires. These are small business owners that are trying to feed their families. I want you to watch this 30 second preview. We'll be launching to today on Value 10 in Spanish. Go ahead, Tyler. First episode today being launched right now on Valuetainment Espanol. Tyler, put the link to the channel where people can go find it as well. And we'll be doing these regularly. And if you know anybody that's a small business owner, Hispanic, South Florida, that would like to be considered for the next perfilas, send us a message at infoadvalutainment.com. We'd love to uh, have a conversation with them and see if they can make Mm -hmm. it on the perfilas program here. John, thank you, folks. We will see you guys on Thursday with Jason Miller. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.